Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media and digital production. Second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're going to talk about Cinegear. We're, we, do our, we are going to be covering it. And we're going to talk about ideas, uh, brainstorming based on what we saw at NAB, on what, what we have to work with, those kinds of things. So we're going to be talking a little bit about what we're planning for the coverage, get your feedback. So if you've got ideas for Cinegear or questions about the coverage, uh, go ahead and throw those into Makana. And uh, otherwise, let's go ahead and jump into the questions. Bill, what do we have? First one comes from Tony Mobley this morning. He's from Noonan, Georgia, and says, have any of the panelists tested live performance audio in Zoom meetings audio settings? So I think this just came out in the last update. And for some reason, the update's not working on my laptop. <laughs> it just goes, I would like to update. And it goes, I can't. I, I can't do that right now. So I don't know exactly what's going on there. So we'll wait until I get back. But I, I believe that the live performance audio obviously will be a higher quality audio, maybe even over original. So we'll uh, we'll see how that goes as we move forward. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it just came out. The, the updates, I think, ran out yesterday. I got it after the show. We we tried to answer it before the show, but we hadn't seen any updates yet. So the update is is now went out to everyone, and we're going to hopefully be able to um, take a look look at it. So definitely ask that question next week. Uh, I plan to get the new Zoom update when I get home. I'm going to figure out. I don't know why my laptop won't install it, but my, I know my studio will. We'll get that installed. Uh, we'll get it updated, and we'll start to play with it and see what happens. Uh, next question. Jacob, good night in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm looking for a budget home theater projector. Which, what would you choose between the BenQ 2050A DLP versus the Epson Home Cinema 2250 3LCD? Go ahead, Nigel. I think they're pretty close, almost exactly the same specs. I think you'll find the Epson has a slightly better contrast ratio. The BenQ is slightly cheaper and better if gaming is important because its refresh rate is better. But uh, if you can sneak up to the 2350, you'll get 4K. Ah, there we go. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, kind of a, maybe Nigel knows more about this because it's been a while since I bought projectors. The three L, different technology, DLP versus three LCD. Um, if you're going to be shooting it with a camera, you may run into problems if they're still using color wheels on the DLP projectors uh, that are rotating very fast. So you can have some artifacts there. And generally, I found the DLPs to have a little better contrast ratio. <laughs> uh, uh, next question. Next one comes to us from Samuel Nordvik in Norway. When using DHCP reservation on a network that requires fixed IPs, how do you handle redundancy if your router should go down? Go ahead, Jeffrey. I always try to make sure my router doesn't go down. Uh, so usually I have a UPS on the router itself if it's uh, if it's uh, doing uh, addressing at all. Uh, for the most part uh, with routers, uh, once once a device gets on the network and the number is given, if the router does go down and that's not your primary uh, uh, communications hub, then uh, then the device will stay on the IP address. Uh, until it uh, comes and sees another DHCP router, so don't make sure make sure you don't have more than one router on there, of course. Uh, but then, uh, if you need to add anything from there, uh, you know uh, the only way to do that is to have a static IP on the other device. I go, Jason. Yeah, once you lock it in on the uh, router, then you should just lock it in on the device. The other way to do it, of course, is is with a with a managed switch. Yeah, the the uh, the advantage, of course, of, of setting all your manual 
just setting it to manual and having your IPs manual is that you don't have to worry about that because everything's going to maintain its uh, it, its IP numbers. The disadvantage of that is it's very you know you can really spend a lot of time DXing that uh, if you don't really keep track of it. If you you have to make sure that you know what everything where everything is and how it's working. Whereas with a with a router, um, you can define all of those things. We often define them on the MAC addresses. So we just say this is the MAC address. Um, and that MAC address always gets this IP, and that has made it a lot easier. Setting up all those reservations takes a lot of time in the beginning, but then you plug everything in and it just does what it needs to do. But you do get into the situation you're talking about here. As Jeffrey said, usually those reservations last, the, the, I think the standard is usually 24 hours. And so if you, if, unless, it, unless you're right when it was supposed to update those, you should be okay. Now, next question. Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York says, Morning, everyone. What workflow and hardware would the panel recommend in order to display a multi-view on a 55-inch monitor when using the Thunderbolt ports as extended display outs on a Mac Studio? I go, Jeffrey. Yeah, I was trying to figure out exactly what you're trying to do. So you, it, it, it sounds like you want to do four different monitors on one big monitor. Uh, for uh, basically, that's where a matrix comes in, and then of course we were using these for the Zoom ISO when it first came out. These are the pluggable uh, HDMI. They have a Display Port and an HDMI, and these are the headless HDMIs, so we could get the actual four screens going through there. Uh, and that's probably that's where I would do that. Plug these into the two Thunderbolt ports. But the other cool thing about that is. Since the uh, Mac Mini is uh, Thunderbolt 4, you can get a dock dock into these two. These two, uh, these two bring the four monitors into your matrix, which would then go into the monitor. Thank you, Bill. And do a little bit of testing. I have noticed just recently, in the past couple of months, uh, there must have been an update in my system files. And if I only have one of my Thunderbolt external monitor collect connected and I boot up in the morning, it goes into one mode. If I have the second one attached, it goes into my office hours mode, which is completely different, including the HDMI output on it. So there is something very intelligent working in the background that is looking at what devices are connected to which ports, and it will configure the system to display that configuration depending on what it sees on the ports. I find that very useful because I don't have to mess with my windows anywhere near as much as I used to. But that may mean that if you're doing something like I think you're talking talking about driving a quad display that it seeing that may or may not act like you're expecting. So I just test a little bit beforehand to make sure that it's going to work the mode that you want it to. Next question. TJ Asher, Minneapolis, says every time iPad OS updates, it keeps putting widgets on my home screen. I don't want them and remove them each time. Anybody else experience this or have any ideas how to prevent these from reappearing again each time? Go, Jason. Um, I've never experienced this, but my guess is that you either have a focus that has widgets associated with it, or your iPad has multiple, um, multiple main display desktops that are somehow associated. But other than that, I don't know. Next question. Next question comes to us from Scott Mueller in Germantown, New York. How many of you have jumped ship from Adobe to DaVinci Resolve? With the 18.5 release, it seems like it's the cool thing to do. Is it good enough to give up my Creative Cloud subscription? Go ahead, John. I don't think cool is the right adjective here. I, I used Adobe for decades, and it just kept crashing on me and crashing. And so I moved to Resolve uh, for that specific reason about two years ago. 
and super happy. But I still can't give up CC because I use every other application in CC. So I use them all. Yeah, go, go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, I think what John said is at the core of the answer to this question is how much of CC do you use? Are you, you know, an After Effects? What what is your use of the Adobe product set? Personally, as a Mac user, I jumped from Premiere, which is what I learned to edit on, to Final Cut Pro because Adobe were having that little moment with Apple uh, and didn't want to play nice. I all my Windows uh, using colleagues are still on Premiere. But they're also on Premiere because they're using the rest of the suite. And I think that's really the consideration. If you're paying for CC just for Premiere, you may want to think about Resolve. I do think, though, you know, in a few days we get Final Cut Pro and uh, on the uh, iPad. And I do think that's going to be the moment of pause where we rethink about everything in that context. Go, Jeffrey. And then sometimes the software is just like antivirus. One day, one day, this this antivirus works because it's protecting this uh, this bug, and then the new bug shows up, and then the next day, this antivirus starts to work a lot better because it, it's just ba- it's a back and forth thing. I would uh, the first thing I would check is make sure that your plugins are going to be compatible. The plugins that you need for whatever workflow you're doing with DaVinci Resolve before you make the jump, because if there's one thing that you cannot live without, then making the jump is pretty pointless. However, uh, usually I find that a lot of the stuff that I use is cross-platform, so it'll go from Final Cut to to Premiere to uh, Resolve easily. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't used... Premiere for a long time, uh, but I but I have uh, I used Final Cut 100% of the time for probably a solid 20 years. Uh, now it's about 50-50 with Resolve. I don't I'm not going over to Resolve. It's just 50-50. I, I spend I do fast edits on Final Cut. I do precision edits and color and everything else in Resolve. And I don't see any reason for me to go any further than that. What I don't really understand, to be honest, where Premiere fits into that model, unless you're already using it and using all the other products that are there because the subscription model by itself is just not a not a great deal when you can get resolved and they keep and all those updates are free and you pay $300 once or even get into it for free uh, same thing with final cut I, I just don't understand the model anymore like i think that that um, premiere has what it has i think it's going to have an increasingly hard time keeping up because uh, the rumor is they that resolve has about three times the number of engineers working on it than premiere so you're going to keep on seeing the the uh, the Keeping up with the Joneses is going to continue to get harder and harder. And the tools, the integration of those tools is profound. Like being able to have something where I'm not going round trip to After Effects. I'm saying, oh, I want to take this and do an effect on it. And I'm just going to go into the Fusion tab. I want to do some audio and I just go into the Fairlight tab. I want to do, you know, all of those things are all in one place. It's really hard to compete with that. Um, having the best color page that anybody has in one tab that's sitting there already there, I think it's very hard to compete with. The only thing that Resolve can't do is compete with the speed that I can do things in Final Cut. And it's not because I know it. It's because I will argue objectively the interface is built to cut things quickly. And it's just much more fluid to put something together really fast. And so I don't see myself ever changing those. I do think I see a lot of people that are not in Hollywood necessarily moving to Resolve. So influencers and other folks are moving more and more towards Resolve um, or Final Cut, but mostly Resolve. Um, Hollywood has its own thing. There's pipelines built. There's things. There's infrastructure. Avid has probably feels like they have 60 to 80% of the market. Premiere has most of the remainder of that um, for the smaller productions. Um, And then... And then there's a handful of people using Final Cut and Resolve as far as edits for those things. But I think Resolve keeps on wrapping up 
the one that's really growing in, in Hollywood is is Resolve um, in that process. But I think that it's going to be really exciting to see what happens next week with Final Cut. I think Apple is going to be pushing that. So, but I think the the real, I think Avid has what it has. Resolve and, and Apple are kind of in a you know in a head to head. And Premiere, I just don't understand where it fits anymore. Uh, next question. Vincent Alvarez, Bellingham, Washington's up next. What is the simplest setup for a non-techie to connect a Shure MV7 using the XLR to a PC? Thinking of a backup in case the USB doesn't have enough oomph to get a good level and for use during Zoom meetings. Go ahead, Alex. Well, I think a single-channel audio interface is pretty simple. They're pretty easy to use. Uh, I recommend the Audient ID4. It is a single-channel mic preamp audio interface with USB-C. It, ha it has solid build quality. They're British companies. Their preamps are really high-end, uh, and they sound great. It's got a multi-segment LED meter on it, so... Uh, that is a good one to go with. If you want to spend a little bit more for $300 US, you can get a Lewitt Connect 6, which has 70, I think it's 72 or 76 dB of gain on their mic preamps. You get two mic preamps with that. The nice thing about the Lewitt is the Mixer app has a loopback um, uh, setting, so you can you can route audio to your live stream. You can do custom headphone mixes. You can create custom mixes for all the outputs, which is awesome. And it has DSP as well, so you get your compression, you get your EQ, and you get a uh, expander as well to lower the noise floor. So that's another option for you. Lewitt seems to be a really interesting company. I have very little interaction with it, but it just seems like they're they're kind of very geeky, <laughs> very like, we're going to make this thing work. They have the, the, they have a couple different mics that will look like a lot of, I think is it the four, is it the, I want to say the 414. Is that, is that correct? Or am I thinking? I think it's the, well, they make, if we're talking about condenser, large diaphragm, the 440 is a, actually 440. a very reasonably priced But isn't, isn't that the one that kind of changes, you can change modes for it in a lot of different ways? Oh, Is that's, that the, I forget the model number. The, the yeah. more expensive ones, yes, they have, you can uh, you can change the tone, like if you want a FET, a FET microphone mm -hmm. or you want a tube microphone yeah. and you do you want a bright sound, do you want a dark sound? And it's, it sounded pretty good. I mean, I, I, I found them interesting. If I didn't already have a Stellar X2, I, I would probably think about it. Yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Speaking of Stellar X2s. Stellar X, use a Stellar X2 now. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I kind of concur with, with what was said by Alexander. The uh, uh, Audient Evo 4, is that what you were talking about? Or is there a different one you were talking about? It's about that's 129 bucks. Yeah, that's a different one. That's an entry-level one. That's kind of recommended because it's simplicity of the controls. And it's got about uh, 65 dB of gains, which might be on the low end uh, for that uh, MV7. It might get you up there enough. Depends on how much gain is in your PC and once it gets into the USB interface. Uh, but that's one. Uh, other other high recommendations, although I, I know a lot of people that hate them are the Focusrite Scarlets. Uh, so you might look at that as well. But you're going to need a preamp interface that goes into USB in any case. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, just a quick thing on the Evo line. I actually forgot about the, that series because the Evo line is geared towards people that don't know how to gain stage correctly. So if you just press the button, it will go. It will listen uh, to your voice and it will uh, automatically set the gain appropriately with enough headroom for your voice. And also the uh, the other interface, the Lewitt does have that feature as well, which is pretty nice for novices. Go, Hashid. 
With the Evo, um, <clears throat> yes, it is simple. It's all ran through software. So all those controls and whatnot is basically a driver package. I had the Audient Evo 4. Um, I ran to a limiting issue because of uh, DB. Uh, the Vocaster from the Focusrite uh, family is the one you want to go for if you want more gain. It has a bit, about 70 gain on the Vocaster. They're also dropped in price. And then um, SSL 2. Any of them, SSL2 Plus, that's 62 uh, dB of gain, and you're going <clears> to <throat> be able to get some clean sound out of it, too. Next question. Next one comes to us from Paul Wallace in uh, Austin, Texas. Apple rolled out ChatGPT on iOS just now. What is the significance? I Go ahead, John. They made this announcement at 10 a.m. yesterday, Paul, and shortly thereafter, I, I discorded you because I knew you were going to ask this question today. So... So the the nice thing about them making an iOS app, if you go into the uh, and, and, the app, and be clear, it's not that Apple rolled it out. It's just that that OpenAI submitted ChatGPT yes. a ChatGPT app, which Correct. looks exactly like the web interface to hundred um, percent. Yeah. So if you go on there and search for for GPT or OpenAI, you're going to find dozens and dozens of copycats. That are that are gaining personal information from people, so it's super scary. Make sure you find the right one and be very careful of what you install on your phone. You're either going to spend money on it or they're going to steal your data. And I think that they that they uh, they um, chat. It felt like OpenAI just had to put out its own app. It just had to get out there and get it, get in front of this because there were so many people that were putting out such bad apps and dangerous apps. And the only way to protect themselves, I think, was to put this out. Um, yeah, go ahead, Nigel. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. This isn't Apple. This is uh, ChatGPT OpenAI doing this. I actually use uh, ChatGPT through a shortcut that I saw a video about, which is really uh, a good way of doing it. So, so this isn't Apple doing AI, and we shouldn't be confused. This is Apple doing AI. We don't know what Apple's AI strategy is, and we—I don't think we will for what is a couple more weeks. But it seems to me the most interesting thing that's going to happen at um, you know, WWC, other than the virtual reality, augmented reality glasses, is Apple talking about AI and where they're going to land. Because you know, in the current gold rush that is going on around AI, it's a mess strategically and everybody is going for land grabs. What nobody's really done outside of those of us who are more technical focused is work out where the early majority is going to be. This is all early adopter stuff. So someone's going to put a, a marker down for the early majority, which is where you really start to monetize this stuff. And it'll be fascinating to see whether Apple's ready to do that. Go, Courtney. Can't hear you, Courtney. Yeah. yeah. All right. The, some days the click works. Anyway, um, <laughs> you guys pointed out the uh, salient points that it's open AI. I have a chat GPT on my phone and Android. Uh, so I'm not sure whether I can't bring it up right now, but I'm not sure whether it's an original app or whether it's just a web inter the web interfaced app for mobile, the mobile version of the web interfaced app. It's probably what's launching the browser to bring it up, but it does, uh, I can use on my Samsung phone. I can use voice input on it, which is handy. And I'm not sure if the Apple uh, supports uh, voice input for the prompt. I don't, it does. You can actually hit, so in the app, you can hit the, there's a little microphone that's just built into iOS. So you hit it and you can sit there and just say what you want to say into it and close it and hit go. So it's it's really doing the voice to text conversion. It's not anything special, but it, 
it works. Uh, I will say that it has in vastly increased my use of ChatGPT um, instantly uh, because before it was like, oh, I got to get on the web page. And it, now I did have the login for the web page, but it was just a little bit of a, um, uh, a little, you know, anyway, it was just that was not as smooth. So I had to think about it. Now I have an app that I just pop open and to the point that was made earlier. I'm going to get a shortcut set up now so that, you know, to that app where I can just say something or do something really quickly and just immediately make, ask those questions. So I think that it's going to, you know, I think that the app is going to make a big difference. Uh, John, you were showing, um, uh, that, that's the, it's just the, the regular text input, right? That's the, yeah. So anyway, I, I think it's, it's pretty exciting. It, it does make it much more convenient where you're just asking questions and talking to it um, in a lot of ways. And, and I do think that, you know, we're going to get to a point and I, I have to, we have to figure out what that looks like, but I'm trying to get to a shortcut or some setup where I can just sit there and just ask, like, like I would do, hey, Shlomo, as, as Andy and Nako would say, um, hey, Shlomo, do, uh, uh, you know, what is this or explain this or talk this and have it immediately give it back to me in audio while I'm walking around or driving or whatever, you know, without having to actually, you know, interact with it at all. And so I think that we're probably, but I don't think we're very far away. I mean, in six months, we're going to be kind of just talking to our phone. <laughs> like it. For better or worse, I think that that's probably the direction we're going. Next question. Alexander Knight, Vancouver, British Columbia. Next question. Does Sony offer an API for their cameras so third parties can create their own ways to access the camera's settings? Go ahead, Jeffrey. There is, but it's a slight caveat because it really depends on what kind of camera you have. Uh, for a DSLR, the ZV-E1, and they, they support the the uh, the little handheld, the uh, DSC models. Uh, they're like the little GoPro uh, style uh, cameras. Um, and then a few, there's a few others. So I'd say about uh, 10, 12 models at the most right now. None of the useful ones. <laughs> like, like the, I mean, like the, the, for ones that are like geeky, as, as I think those are the P1s or whatever, the little, the little square ones, that made sense. But like for the, A, the A7 series, the professional series, Sony has an API. They just don't make it available. Um, this has been a problem. And this is why we moved. One of the big reasons that I moved to Blackmagic was being so frustrated with the way that Sony supported uh, our ability to program into their hardware. And so I was really excited. And we do use up a lot of that in Blackmagic um, hardware and software. And so, um, but, uh, but yeah, they haven't been very uh, forthcoming in that. It's just culturally, they don't really make it widely available for the, the cameras that they consider kind of the professional cameras. They want to have a lot more control. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael's up next. He says, what is the Verizon AVOC? I've seen it referenced in press releases and event announcements. How does one request a connection to a specific site? And he notes the only mention he's seen of it is in a Verizon promo video that he links there. Go ahead, Jason. Money. Lots and lots and lots of money. Um, no, this is an extremely limited thing that I feel like Verizon um, kind of rolls out anytime they want to show that they're kind of on top of the fiber thing. It's somewhat limited. I, if I remember correctly, it's, you know, the State Department uses it. It's kind of extensively in D.C., um, maybe in Texas. But, yeah, it, it is kind of like a it's just its own private fiber backhaul. Yeah, it, it 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 we use it. We I've used it in the past. So, for instance, we had a, a, a we had a setup where we needed to connect the uh, the space station uh, to a to a venue. And one of the things that we had to do there is that NASA and, as I said, the the a, a variety of government agencies are all on AVOC in DC. And there's only a handful of places. So, the building that I'm in right now actually has AVOC 
in this building, but it also has Vivix and the switch and 26 dishes on the roof and, you know, all kinds of other fiber coming into the one building. And so, um, but yeah, the a block is about 50 feet that way. Um, and, uh, so anyway, the, uh, the, it mostly is connecting to government agencies. So when we connected to NASA, we had to, what normally happens is you go down from, you go down to Houston and then you go up to another satellite and then down to somebody, but that's a double bump, you know, and then you can, or you can try to use Skype or you can use, you know, Hangouts or Zoom or whatever. And it's always, you know, you, you want to get that full connection. So what we did is we were able to route it to DC through NASA's network. And then in DC, we were able to pick it up on AVOC and bring it over to us and that cut our latency in half. So having those connections to those government agencies is really useful uh, for something like, you know, so, so AVOC is something you might buy into if you're a broadcaster or if you're an organization that wants to constantly work with the, the you know, the, not, well, not defense department, but, but uh, the education department or something, they're all on AVOC. So, but it's a really old network. I don't think they're adding anything to it. I think the only reason you would get it is if you need to get a hold of the existing uh, structure that's already there because um, it's, you know, I think people, every time we ask for it, people are like, is that still running? <laughs> they have to go over and look. It's barely used. Uh, next question. Next question comes from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. And Jack says, what do I put between my Mac Studio or iPhone to input one and on my ATEM Mini Pro to supply YUV signals? Go ahead, Alex. I'm not entirely clear what Jack's asking here. If is he asking to send a YU YUY to oh YUY YUV signals? Okay, I'm confused what he's trying to do. I thought he was asking about YU Y2 uncompressed video from the ATEM, which it doesn't do over the USB C. Yeah, I you know I think that um, I don't know why you would need to do that. To be honest, I think that you should just be able to plug a. I don't know about the, with the, so with the Mac, Mac, I mean, I connect the Mac Studio all the time to, um, to my ATEM, and I don't have to do any kind of conversion. I just do a USB C cable. It has USB C on one side and HDMI on the other, and I just plug them in and it works. So that, that works there. Um, for a phone, I do lightning with an HDMI and lightning adapter, and that lightning adapter to give it power back to the phone. And so you have that dual adapter there. And you take that HDMI and plug it right into the into the um, computer. You do want to use the Apple adapter. Don't buy a third-party Lightning adapter. They seem to always work when you plug them in, and within a couple of weeks, they're like showing you a QR code and doing other weird stuff. And you just, it, I've given up. <laughs> so, so you, um, so you want the HDMI to HDMI to Lightning adapter from Apple, um, and then you want the, you know, that's the again the the third-party ones have. I bought a lot of them. They're all a disaster. Um, go ahead, Alex. You know, it actually just occurred to me. I think I know what he's asking because the thing is the HDMI outputs on computers are typically RGB. So it sounds like he's trying to get it into that other space of YUV, which sounds yeah, like he's asking it, about a it converter should box. When it gets an HDMI when it gets an HDMI converter, it should do what it needs to do to get give that a proper signal back to a monitor or to the switcher. You shouldn't need to, you know, it's not going to assume an, H an RGB signal is required for that. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I'm assuming that he has some sort of processing that requires a YUV. He's working in color space. He's do probably doing color well, correction. It's YUV. To be clear, it's YUV when it goes into the into the ATEM. Like, it, it has to be YUV. It's not doing, the ATEM doesn't process RGB. But right, that's but if you had a secondary piece of equipment that required a YUV connection, he might want to get it out of his right. Mac Studio and into that processor before he comes back to the computer. 
So the yeah, YUV connection, that, that he's just looking for ports. When you have an HDMI out, when you convert to an HDMI, it is YUV exiting the computer unless you unless you hard set it to something else. Um, so you, that shouldn't be you shouldn't have to do anything other than the cable. Next question. Next question comes from Tony Mobley in Noonan, Georgia. I know it will discuss. I know we'll discuss next week, but live audio performance in meetings will allow our happy birthday singing in sync. Will it be used? Oh, my God, that's a religious question. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeffrey. <laughs> well, I hope it will be used, and I hope it will do a great job. Uh, there is a small little uh, issue with that, and that uh, it really is the dependent on a lot of factors like, for instance, what kind of computer that uh, that you're attaching to Zoom for coming into office hours. If it's underpowered, then it's gonna you're going to have a little bit of latency. Another factor is like uh, if... I was to take my camera and my microphone and go directly into the computer and then go into Zoom, I'd have a better least amount of latency than what I'd normally do, which is go into vMix, put the video in there, put the audio in there, let the sync happen there, and then uh, push that to Zoom. So there's there's going to be a little bit of, of miss on that, depending on what you have. And then, of course, we're, I, I didn't even get into network and uh because that can be a big factor if you have a slow network go ahead bill real quick in our birthday singing disaster is not a bug it's a feature so <laughs> i think even if this gets in there we will have to find some random delay thing for each yeah. participant to mess it up I totally don't, i don't think it's going to make any major improvement to what we what we're doing we're, we're not very good at it that's the problem we don't get enough practice so we just you know so next question uh, Nigel Dessau in Austin, Texas. I am considering trading my Fuji camera gear for a full-frame Sony, primarily for still rather than video, but also to have a better B camera for video. Thoughts on which one? Is the A7 IV the current favorite, or did I miss something? Yeah, I think that, if, I mean, if you can afford the A7 IV, it looks amazing. Um, I haven't used, I've used the A7 II, the A7R2 uh, and S2, and um, they were very, very successful. I was very, very successful with those. Um, I haven't gone up to it, but I, I believe the four now it has a 61 megapixel image. Now go ahead, Nigel. They, they've just made my life my, more complicated. And by the way, Sony Product Management, congratulations that if you, uh, naming is awful. They now have an A7R4A. So oh, nice. now I'm trying to work out what the difference between the A is, whether it's just a, a variation, a spec jump, or there's something fundamentally different. So, right, yeah, the the uh, I, yeah, I don't know what the difference is there. Um, I know that I have been hankering for an excuse to get the four in my hands so that I can test it with photogrammetry because that resolution is super interesting to me about being able to you know gather that much data every time I shoot um, for modeling, and I and I just haven't had a time to work on it. But the other A7s that we've used in the past, uh, the A7 uh, R3. Uh, and the two have been very successful. Uh, next question. Joe Kidd in the Bay Area, California. Is in the U.S., does a carrier with fixed wireless broadband exist that markets hardware supporting bridge mode? Has there been any progress in the underlying protocols to better support this model over current cell data infrastructure? Thanks. Go ahead, Jason. The last time I heard about anything along these lines, first, there's there's no such thing as far as I know as a carrier that that like guarantees bandwidth. Like it's just not a thing. But um, the last time I remember this even getting a bump was um, was carrier aggregation on the last iteration of um, what they did before five G. Next question. 
Douglas Carmichael is up with this one. Alex, what makes Final Cut better for faster edits versus Resolve's cut page? You know, the, the I mean, Bill can probably talk to that as much as anything else, but the magnetic timeline, it just makes everything go so much faster. And you're just sitting there just popping things through and, and not thinking about tracks in the same way. And it and with it's not just the magnetic timeline in one thing. It's all, you, you may have a, a five or six tracks and as you cut things away in that base track, everything's just kind of closing up and expanding and you're moving things in and out. Uh, and there are so many things like that. It's not just the magnetic timeline. It's a lot of other bits and pieces that just make the whole thing a lot a lot easier to move very quickly. The edit, uh, I'll be honest with you, I don't know anybody that uses the cut page. <laughs> like, like, like I, I, I'm sure that somebody out there is using the cut page. It, I, I get where Blackmagic's trying to go, but all of us just go straight to edit. Um, you know, and just go to the edit page and start editing. I don't, I don't understand the cut page, to be honest. Go ahead, Bill. So when Randy Ubilos rethought, and he was the inventor of Premiere originally, and when he rethought things to do Final Cut the original, and then eventually morphed into Final Cut 10, when he sat down to redo 10, his thinking was this, the world is full of too much content, and it comes into an editor's desk, and it's it's difficult to organize and understand. So he put in these basic concepts like range reject where you could take the camera was left rolling i don't ever want to deal with this stuff there's nobody in front of it let me just get rid of all that stuff so he put in first this database that lets you pare down reject and focus on the most important content out of the flood that's coming in then he married that to the magnetic timelines you could take these pre-trimmed that's that's kind of a bad way to describe it but you can take the things that you have decided you want and magnetically attach them to each other in a system that makes its own internal magnetic sense that just means that you can just get out of the thinking about how to do things and start almost painting with video that's how i see it i became first twice as fast then four times as fast in terms of being able to accomplish the same projects I had before using this magnetic system. And when you have to revise things, when a client comes back with notes, I am literally 10 times faster to make changes on existing programs than I ever was back when I was a linear track-based editor. So it's transformative if you dive into it and learn how it works. And I still get things that would have taken me three days to do in the old system done in three or four hours commonly. It's yeah, just I mean, the way it's built. The, the thing that really makes it hard is you, oftentimes people will try to make Final Cut run like Premiere like they, they, or run like Resolve, and they, they want to try to force it to do tracks because that's the way they knew how to do it. And what we did what, what we did at PixelCore is the day, the week after, um, uh, the week after it was released, we just had Steve Martin and Mark Spencer come into our office and train us for four days, and everyone just, we just went, whoop. We're just going to switch over. I'm not going to try to figure this out. It wasn't, there was nowhere to go. And so we just ramped everybody up. And from then on, we were, we were doing everything in Final Cut. And, and there was a lot, it was pretty rough. The first year or two, there was some bugs. It didn't have any, you know, it, didn't, it was missing a bunch of features. But as, it, as it, it, we've, it's paid off, and we've never paid for an upgrade. So, you know, but it's paid off over time. I don't think, I think it's really hard to argue that, that, uh, that any other app is as fast as Final Cut as far as generating content. There's a lot of arguments of why you might use something else. As I said, I use Resolve half the time because of some of the stuff that I do. But but I um, but I when it comes to speed, you know, by the time I set a project up in Resolve, I could have finished some of the projects that I did in Final Cut. You know, and so that's the that's the the difference. Um, next question. 
Next one comes to us from Neil Alviedo. It looks like, or I hope that I'm getting that right, Boca Raton, Florida. And Neil says, what's the opinion on Unreal Engine 5.2 on Apple Silicon? Well, we're excited about it. Uh, I haven't haven't gotten a chance to sit down and install it. I had some kind of user problem <laughs> that I was to install it in uh, from the marketplace or whatever. So uh, I'm working on that. But I, I think it's really exciting that they put it. I'm kind of surprised that they port- ported it, to be honest, given the troubles that Epic has had. Uh, but all reports are that the performance is off the charts. You know, And so we really, a lot of us have stayed away from putting Unreal Engine on the Mac because it was running really badly. And now it seems to be running very well. We don't know if it's compatible with absolute everything right now, but we're taking a look at that right now. But it looks really promising. Next question. Next one comes to us from Alexander Alexander Knight in Vancouver, British Columbia, here on the panel. Mackie has released the first podcast mixer to support Dugan Auto Mix with some other unique features. Looks incredible. It's $799 U.S. Thoughts? Uh, Go ahead, Courtney. I do see it has an auto mix in it. I don't, I don't know if it, I didn't see the Dugan brand brandished about, uh, but the, it looks interesting. I think they're going after the Rodecaster Pro. Uh, the things I like about it, uh, in difference to the Rodecaster Pro, it has a larger touchscreen, which is very handy, an eight inch touchscreen as opposed to the one that's on the Rodecaster, which is only about a five inch. And the other thing I like, if you look at the inputs down here, the, uh, they have, the four four XLR inputs that are combo, either XLR or a quarter inch, and they have a five and six, a left and right quarter inch input, and they have a seven and eight uh, mini plug here for two more inputs. So it has a lot more inputs that you can control on this mixer than the uh, than the Rodecaster Pro does. And uh, I think Rodecaster could probably do catch up and and change with a firmware update, add auto mix, which they're probably going to do. And I don't know the quality of the preamps. Mackie has had pretty good Onyx preamps for a while now. So I, I expect it's pretty good there and should work with most dynamic mics, but I haven't tried it yet. Good, Alexander. Yes, a couple of things. First of all, the, the screen's actually 10.1 inches, so it's gargantuan in size. Uh, as far as the preamps, these are a modified. They took their Onyx design uh, preamps and, and uh, modified them, so these are 80 dB of gain. The traditional Onyx preamps were 60 dB, so it's, I mean, you could drive a vintage RCA ribbon microphone with these preamps. It's just absolutely insane. The other thing, too, with the... Uh, with the uh, with the interface is that they have three different modes. So I forget what they call it, but there's like a easy mode where it just is pre-configured. It adds the compression, all the dynamics processing. You have no adjustment over the settings. Then it has like a semi-pro feature where you can tweak some settings, but you won't you know you won't get too lost. Then the advanced mode, the EQ in the advanced mode, the compressor. You have full access to all the parameters. The EQ is interesting. I've never seen on uh, a podcast branded type of product like this where they give you a full parametric EQ just like on a more professional live mixer where you can you've got all the touch points of the different frequencies and you can see you can see the actual audio coming in behind those points and you can see where the problems are and you can notch out a problem on the graph so that's really really cool it doesn't have the two USB interfaces that the road has that may not be a deal breaker for a lot of people for me I think the Auto mix is the biggest, most important selling point of that thing. And that's what has me excited about it. Yeah, and I don't think it's a Dugan auto mix. The, the reality is, is that uh, the patents for the Dugan auto mix ran out quite some time ago. And Behringer tried to, tried to put in Dugan-like auto mix and 
there's a lot of trouble. So, so um, you can put Automix in. The problem that they you always get into is that a lot of us are looking for Dugan. Like we're looking for the name, even though a lot of people can produce something that works very closely to what the Dugan Automix does um, without calling it a Dugan Automix and, and paying you know licensing fees for it. Although I do think that whatever licensing fees that, that Dan is asking for, it's well worth it. There's a, it's kind of a brand of excellence of this is what we're doing. And, and there's a certain level of trust that a lot of people have related to it saying Dugan Automix. Um, and I think that they, I think it's always, people are always missing the boat when they don't go ahead and just pay Dan some money and put the name on it. Yeah, go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Nowhere on the Mackey website does it say Dugan on it. It just says auto yeah. mix. Auto, and, and, two and, and words, those, auto mix. And that's, that. Other than that, uh, everything that everybody has said, uh, the I would want to have the multiple uh, USBs because, especially because of phones that don't have audio jacks anymore, and uh, bringing in audio uh, via USB would be a better thing. Plus, with the road, the uh, the new update uh, to accept wireless microphones and a couple other features, and the buttons on the side of the uh, of the roadcaster. Uh, outweigh the uh, the Mackie. This is going to be for a higher end studio. If you're setting up a studio four person uh, podcast situation where people are going to walk in and you're going to be controlling in the other room, I think that's going to be perfect. But if it's just the average person uh, doing a show from their living room or whatnot, then it they, they'll save the hundred dollars and go for the Rodecaster Pro. I go with Alex. One last thing, I, I'd recommend watching. Curtis Judd did a really good in-depth review of the of the DLZ creator, and they actually did a uh, he did an auto mix test with a couple of people just so you could actually hear what it sounds like. For for those that have never used auto mix, it's kind of cool to be able to see. Well, what does this do to the actual noise floor? So, and you, in my opinion, you can't do a roundtable in the in the you know in a, in the same room without an auto mix. <laughs> you just, you, you like, it's, it, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's in uh, live. I mean, you can record them all and then you're going to fix it all later, but the auto mix is just so important to what we do. Uh, next question. Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas is up next. How many categories of apps do you have on your phone and how many total apps? And is there an automated way to tally these? Go ahead, Courtney. Uh, I haven't found an automated way. I go one, two, three. And the problem with, I don't uh, categorize mine that much. I have them all alphabetical in one big folder. I do have some Google apps in a separate folder and so on. But I found when I try and organize them by folder, I forget which folder I put the app in. And then it's a hunt and peck to find, is it in this folder? No. Is it in this folder? No. Is it in this folder? No. It's much easier to find it in alphabetical list. Go ahead, Jason. If you go to um, settings and then about, uh, if you scroll down, it will tally your apps. Right now, my tally is 414, and I don't care about categories. Yeah, go ahead, uh, 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 Bill. Yeah, I do use the iPhone's native binning system. I call it that. I don't know what they actually call it. But if you if you press and hold on your phone, the apps will start shaking, and you can drag like apps on top of each apps and they make kind of a little pod of apps for a style. So I have all my audio recording apps in a one little pod. I have all my video processing apps in another little pod. And it takes the confusion of, oh my gosh, I've got 400 apps and I've got nine pages I have to scroll through to get there. And it turns it into five or six pages. It's a really convenient little thing. And if you get used to it, the, the only downside is each icon can only show you nine. And so if you have more than nine, nine, three, six, nine, yeah, you have to swipe 
left and it'll show you more. So you can get apps buried under other apps, but you can also go into those pods and physically rearrange them so that the nine most used apps in your bulk mail pod or whatever you want can be the ones that are displayed. I have to admit that uh, all I do is search. I just I just uh, thumb down and type in what I'm looking for and then move on. I don't I don't try to find them. I I the first page or two have 99% of what I'm using. Um first three pages have 99% of what I'm using. If it's after the first three pages, I am just searching and finding what I need um because I, I I've got probably 250 apps on there and I don't really think think much of it there. Uh, a quick reminder that, of course, you can keep on asking questions. Definitely vote on the questions also if you're watching. Uh, but you can ask questions for the first hour. Remember, we're talking about Cinegear in the second hour. So if you have suggestions of how you'd like us to talk about Cinegear, go ahead and throw those in right now. Also, if you have questions about Cinegear and the coverage, go ahead and throw those in for the second hour. And again, you can still ask questions for the first hour, and but make sure to vote on those questions as well so we know what order you'd like us to cover them in. Next question. Alton Christensen in New York City says, speaking of resolution for photogrammetry, Canon released an update to the R5 that allows for a 400 megapixel image capture, tripod recommended. And he's got a link there to uh, get more info. Go ahead, Jason. Um, yeah, I'm immediately suspicious of this for one reason and one reason only. I've never liked the EOS utility. And in order to do this stitching, it, it, as far as I can tell, is required. So, it, again, neat trick, but I'm not sure how useful it'll actually be in practice. And I believe the Sony has another one that's not quite the same resolution, but I think it's 256 mega. You know, it's it's a it's it's another 256 megapixel. Now, what the Sony does is it actually moves the sensor, so it just goes, and then it puts the but it pieces it all together and gives you a massive photo. You can't use that for photogrammetry because. Any kind of computational photography that changes that is going to make it very, very hard for your, photo, for, for your photogrammetry. It has to be a single image. Even the Apple, if you use an, the Apple and it starts doing computational um, Im images, uh, so and, and that includes like zooming partway in your in not using a pure lens, uh, the Apple uh, or the your photogrammetry stuff will get confused very, very quickly. It needs to have the correct focal length and and all the stuff that's there that gets starts to get tweaked when you start doing computational photography. So that's one place you don't want to do that is, is um, when you're doing photogrammetry. Next question. Mike Edwards in Brooklyn, New York. In terms of IO and stream health specs, does the panel recommend the Web Presenter HD over the Elemental link? Uh, go ahead, Jason. Okay, I know that there's a little bit of overlap here, but the two are in completely different categories. Uh, based on the constraints of your question, you cannot beat the elemental link, and the price reflects that. Yeah, if you're trying to do an integration, so the web presenter has a couple of features. If you're trying to do integration where you're using the web presenter to bring a computer input and a camera input, and you're going to put it into Zoom, or you're going to put it into you know Hangout or Meet or Teams, the web presenter is great, and it happens to also be able to stream, uh, and it gives you a great interface. I think it's the one of the best interfaces to tell you what's actually happening. If you're trying to purely stream something, which is we use the links every day for this show, uh, you can't beat the link from a stability perspective. It's using Zixi, a Zixi protocol with Elemental's special sauce. It's completely run from the cloud. It's a much more stable way to go. You're going to get a higher quality stream. It's going to be more reliable. It's you know it's it's a different it's a it's a mission you know it's a single mission box, whereas the web presenter has a lot of other things. They are as Jason said, 
two different worlds, you may end up with both of them in the same kit. Um, they're not really competing with each other. Next question. Kenny Hampton in Greenville, Illinois is up next. Do all the newer Blackmagic ATEM switchers include input scalers to mix cameras with differing frame rates? Go ahead, Courtney. Yes, it'll match up frame rates. I don't think it will scale uh, in that respect, uh, different uh, sizes, you know, different uh, resolutions. But it will uh, match up frame rates if it's you know, 1080i versus 1080p or PSF or whatever. Because it's an a, uh, because it's an HDMI input, it requests they talk back and forth and agree on the uh, common uh, resolution and input, and uh, then it resynchronizes everything vertical. It syncs up the vertical sync between everything. Uh, so it matches them up, and that's all the new ones. The original television studio didn't. You had to use it 1080i input in it. Uh, and they didn't have to be synchronized necessarily, but you had to have uh, 1080i, that frame rate coming in. When you do do that conversion, you add latency to the entire system. So you just know that if you start, when everything is lined up, you're going to get a lower latency than if you start adding things that, that require it to make those connections. It's by frame, but it's still something you have to think about. Next question. Next one comes to us from Alexander Knight here on the panel, Vancouver, British Columbia. For those looking for alternatives to the X32, does the Yamaha TF series of digital mixers have blessed Dan Dugan Auto Mix? This was released in 2017 as version 3.5 firmware update. He's got a link there. And I don't think that's a question. That's a statement that it does oh. do uh, Dugan Auto Mix. Is that right, uh, Alex, that it does do Dugan? Yeah, yeah, and I, I, it's not a question. It was just because I've I've heard a, a, a few times that saying that it didn't support it, but it, and I I double checked and it and it does. In fact, actually, that press release has a comment from Dan saying, "Anyone that buys this is going to do really well with this Dukin Automix." So, do you know how many channels it does? Does it do eight or sixteen? You know, I think it's eight, but I'm not a hundred percent certain. A lot of these seem to be eight. Yeah, they seem to be eight. The QL series, I think, on Yamaha is sixteen which does make a big difference. There's a lot of things that you, we end up being really glad that we had that. Um, but the but that's good to know. I, there was something else. I believe there was still something else that we didn't, that we didn't uh, jump on the TFs because of the... I know that we looked at the TF rack series pretty seriously when we were... Because I think it's only 2U instead of 3U, the way that the, the Behringer is. So it's a little deeper but it's to you, and so we and we were trying to lower the U's in in, in our uh, in our process. So we looked at those really closely. But there was something there was there was the auto mix and something else. And when we were making that decision, which was in 2016 or 2015, before this was available. Next question. Next one comes to us from Jack Rupel in Breckenridge, Colorado. Could you use AI for moderating chat identity, swearing, ad hominem attacks, and inappropriate texts? Uh, go ahead, Nigel. I'm sure you could. Someone smarter than me, maybe Mr. Preto, could work out to do that. But I think as you went through your sentence, you increased the complexity of the problem. I think you can filter swearing very well. You might be able to do ad hominem attacks. But inappropriate text is in the eye of the beholder. So all of this stuff gets a lot more complicated when you have to add context. And so you've got to be able to put the AI in the context. Personally, I just think a sarcasm font would be much more useful. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah, uh, most of these chats have already have some sort of filtering system to it. So if, uh, let's say, a new word like blah, blah becomes a swear word that it could in instantly be put in where AI would really start to come into it is start recognizing that the word blah, blah is the uh, is a swear word or an inappropriate word. 
to uh, start blocking it out. But the reality is there, there's a lot of these words that then go into cross. And so you're trying to chat into something, you're saying something that's not a bad word, and then you get blocked because it just sees that word and, uh, and can't determine whether it's something that's going. That's where AI really would want, uh, shine through. Good, Bill. Nigel, you've inspired me. I absolutely want a sarcasm font. It should be called Snarky Bold, and I want somebody out there in a font-building world to start building it right now. So this, there's a huge amount of work being done in this area right now. And the, you know, the, the, the real problem that I think we're going to run into is a really important question, and I'm going to spend a moment on it. The real problem is, is people who um, are not well socially adjusted will not be included in the next generation of social media um, for very long because the AI is going to identify uh, poor behavior at a deep level and then just kind of push them to the side. And because, you know, the signal to noise ratio in, 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 in social media is a real issue. You know, so much noise of people and people are going to be able to, you know, start to filter that out the way we filter out noise. Um, over the next five or 10 years um, with AI, where it's going to look at it very contextually. It's not going to just look at what you said. It's going to look at what you said in context with everything else that's going on. It's going to look at what you're doing based on what everybody else is doing at the same time. So it's going to look for pack behaviors. It's going to look for a lot of other things. And it's going to be able to pull those things out relatively quickly. And right now we have very simple algorithms and we have some algorithms that can work. I We've built some for Makana and other things. And so the you know there's algorithms that we can use to do it, but they're very rudimentary AI is going to allow us to be very uh, exacting in that area. And the only thing that I, that I wonder about is, you know, where does that 20% of the population go? <laughs> like, you know, and, and that's, it's about, you know, really, you know, most of the time we say, I'm being conservative because most of the time we say that about 3% of the population creates about 90% of the problems on the internet. Um, and so, but, it, you know, some people have told me it's closer to 20 <laughs> that they create hundred percent of the problems. Um, but, uh, so I think that, uh, but if those folks don't have a place to have an outlet or a place to go, you know, we, we, we worry about, you know, what will happen, but they could be completely shut out in the next decade, like just not able to be heard by anybody ever because the system will be able to just kind of work them out of this work them out of the process. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah. There are dangers in this of blacklisting that, um, uh, especially with co-located uh, mail servers, I ran into this problem where uh, my mail, you know, the mail server for my website uh, was locate co-located on one that somebody was using for spamming, and right. uh, suddenly that mail server's IP address was just blacklisted. So none of my email was delivered. Well, it wasn't marked. It was just black hole into the yeah, black hole. You never see the, it again. And that shows you the the problem with the crude systems that we have now, the kind of the carpet bombing versions of, of what this is, of like, we're just going to kill everything from that IP, but that's not what's coming. What's coming is, is that you can see what's, what, what you see with, with uh, twi Twitter is the you know the certification process. They're going to start asking for that. And then what's going to happen in Twitter is they're going to stop spreading anything that isn't certified. You know, and then they're going to stop, you know, like there's, the, there's like, they're, they're turning the dials very slowly. But it's going to get to a point where you can't no it's not that you can't post, it's just that no one will see it. You know, if if, if you post into something and, and right now there's, you know, systems, our system doesn't do this, but there are systems that do what we call shadow banning. And shadow banning is I ban you from people seeing your posts, but you don't see that. So that means that you type in your comment and it pops into the 
you know, into the social system, you're the only one that sees that. And so people sit there and just, they'll just bang, it's, it, you know, and, and they can, you know, companies, it's a manual process, but they can literally shadow ban a user because then the user doesn't try to get a new login. They just keep using the login that they have, but they're literally unheard. And, um, and so, uh, and that kind of ban probably, probably exists in most social networks. Um, and they, if you're really a problem, they'll just shadow ban you rather than ban you because then you won't, you'll just think that you're still in the system. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I think Alex was right. I was being a little flippant before, but this is a serious problem, probably compounded by the fact that we now have a generation of kids who were pulled out of the COVID panic from the normal social modes of being in school and having to learn some of the problems. We all went through that when we were young and did something ridiculous and everybody said, stop doing that. You got some social pressure not to with now this generation of kids doing all this uh, education from home and, you know, just shutting off their cameras and withdrawing. It's going to be harder and harder to get those social cues and learn what is appropriate public behavior. And if what Alex is talking about compounds that, you're right. We could have a generation of way too many kids who don't understand how to behave. Well, it's not just that they don't understand. It's just that they won't be heard at all. Like they yeah. just like no one will even they because we're not we're gonna have more and more online things. There's nowhere to go, and and frustration comes out somewhere, and so we just yeah. have to be very careful of what happens when that happens. So we think about that a lot when we think about these filter systems. Yeah, uh, next question. 100%. Next question from Douglas Carmichael. It says, the FCC document about LPTV, low-power TV, in the U.S., it said that high schools operate low-power TV stations. Wouldn't most schools outside of tech-first private schools not have the resources for broadcast facilities and qualified full-time staff? I go ahead, Jason. Uh, No, that's not true. Part 74 of the FCC's ruling was established in 1982 when TV, you know, was was the thing and a lot of large public high schools put in um television studios um the amendment that you're talking about is just kind of a tweaking of the rules probably having to do with federal funding to to carve out that niche and allow it to continue good jeff jeffrey real quick you know the funny thing is uh yesterday i had this conversation with somebody that does deal with uh school uh, education and uh and broadcasting I always thought it was hand-me-downs that a lot of people are getting, but he's going with the brand with these uh, cities building brand new schools. They're actually uh, getting the top-notch equipment to put in there. So uh, all this technology is probably better than what you're working on right now. I go, Bill. Yeah, in my son's case, they had a daily newscast out of the grade school, out of the fifth grade class. And so they were learning the skills of that, and they didn't have low power. It was just inside as a learning endeavor in that grade school. I know high school in the Bay Area that you know, looking for grants raised $1.5 million. <laughs> they have a really nice studio that's built in there. The money's there. And if, if you just have to show that you have someone that's focused on it and that will develop the students and, and you can get the money. Next question. Next question comes from Mitchell Hill in Wilmington, Delaware. A survey at voicejungle.com shows very little impact on the voice business due to AI offerings. Is AI voicing a bit of hype? Uh, go ahead, uh, Jeffrey. I would never do a sur- or take a or a survey from a company that's their main focus is to actually find people to do voiceovers for voiceovers. I'm not saying that they they skewed the numbers, but everybody that's coming to that website is skewing the numbers. And having more of an independent uh, survey would be a better thing. 
There's still a lot of problems with the AI voice, like for instance, inflections. Once that gets over that hump, then of course we'll have a whole world of new problems that we have to deal with, including deep fakes mm-hmm. and all that other good stuff. But uh, I think that uh, yeah, right now it's 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 at least five years out before we could really look at that survey again and uh, see what the results would change. Good, Courtney. I think it will dilute the voiceover uh, business because uh, in the past, your your choices were just the uh, robot-sounding uh, uh, accessibility feature of text-to-voice screen reader that was built into almost all devices versus you know hiring a live person to read your your material. Uh, now there's a third choice of having an AI chatbot read your material. Uh, isn't as good as the as the live voice, but it's miles ahead of the robotic uh, text-to-speech uh, synthesizer built into your device. So it's going to dilute the market by a certain percent. Good, Bill. Huge debate in the voiceover community. I don't think we're going to uh, solve this soon. Um, there is a lot on both sides. It's going to change. It changed from when I was a young person when only the people who had flexibility of schedule and some talent could go into a studio at 2 o'clock on a Tuesday and do voiceover because everybody else was working and they couldn't do it. With the breakdown and work from home, there's a gazillion people in trying to break into the voiceover market. And that means it is a mess right now. I do think that AI might take out some of the low 50% down work and take it back to where it was when I started, which is the best continue to work and everybody else has to do something else. I, I think the real challenge is I think it's probably not 50. I think it's probably the bottom 80. Uh, I think, in, you know, for a lot of these kinds of things, the bottom 80% of many industries are just going to get wiped out um, by AI. It, it's the top 20% are going to be there. The hard part is how do you get new people in the top 20 if the bottom 80 doesn't exist? So you're thinking, if you think about it, it went from a, there's a, uh, a gradient, <laughs> like a ramp, an on-ramp to a, to a, to the highway has a certain level. Imagine if that on-ramp goes away and it's just a cliff that's 15 feet high. Um, you know, that how do you get new people in? This is a problem that they're having, for instance, you know, our, our airline tickets are really expensive because there's not enough pilots and there's not enough people coming, entering the pilot business. And so they're they're not able to, they're, they're in a mismatch right now. And I think we're gonna see more of that. They're, like, how do you train people to do something if they if they if they have to be an expert level, and so I think that things like what we're doing, and we're thinking about that a lot inside of office hours, because like how do we build training that gets people coming out at a very high level of the training? Uh, this is not what we're doing right now. I mean, we're doing as much as we can. This is we're fixing one of the hardest problems, which is how do we give people real time feedback. But in the future, we're thinking about ways that how do we build training programs and so on and so forth that allow you to come out at a near expert level when you pop out the other end with real production experience against all of those things. So when you see what we're about to talk about, and it's kind of blends in, when you see Cinegear and you see what we're doing with office, with volunteering for the show, we're trying to figure out how do we give people real time, real, real world experience and real production experience um, in a volunteer capacity, because that may be the only way to do it in the future. Um, You know, like there may not be a way to get a job to do this. You may do it in part time and figure it all out in the same way that, you know, if you're, you can get very, very good at the piano and the guitar, but, but wow, all the stars have to align and you have to be exceptional to make it your, you know, your, your business. If you're going to make you, you can't be an okay piano player and, and show up because there's so much supply you know, of that. And I think that that's going to get more and more complicated. So it's a real, you know, again, we're dealing with some real, real issues there. I I think that Jeffrey's probably right five years, but it could be as short as two years where you start to see maybe not all of the impact, but some of the impact. 
I will say as a person who listens to, I do not listen to narrative on a, on my, uh, my book on my, my audio books. I listen to data and I prefer the computer, like even the one now, because I can listen to it at a higher rate. Um, when, when a person does it, the idiosyncrasies of their voice at two X makes it hard to hear them, hard to understand what they're saying. Whereas the precision of the current output of computer, just the raw one that comes out now, I can turn it up. I can turn the speed up and absorb the book faster. So, so I think that that's a, you know, now people who want to listen to Harry Potter, that's a whole nother thing, but even then you're going to have 10 voices that are all generated by AI that are going to do all of these things. You're going to see it. It's going to feel a little rough and weird at the beginning, but it's going to get very good because there's going to be a lot of money flowing into that process. Anyway, so it's going to be definitely something we'll continue to watch. If you're a high-end voiceover person, I don't think you have any problem. If you're getting into the market, it's going to be hard. (laughs) So we've talked about it in the past. All right, we're now changing subjects to uh, talking about Cinegear. Uh, we had some back and forth, and so we, we finally you know, have an approval from Cinegear that, that you know, we're going to be able to add a bunch of people to the press list. We're going to be doing that today. So if you're on the, if you've signed up for it, if you haven't signed up for it, I didn't get it out yesterday, so there's a little bit of time. So while you're watching this, there's a link in, uh, in Discord. And if you're going interested in being on the panel, on the back end or on the ground, especially on the ground, you can still sign up for about the next hour or so. Literally right when I get out of the show, I'm going to submit the press passes. And we're only asking for NAB. We asked for press passes for everyone. And, and that was by NAB's suggestion. I think with Cinegear, we're not going to try to overwhelm people. So we're really only looking for press passes for people who are going to be there. Um, and so uh, make sure not to sign up if you're not going to be there. Um, you know, if you're not, don't sign up as someone who's going to be there if you're not, because we already have a pretty big list of people. So right now, I think we have about 25 or 30 people that are, have signed up. Uh, we've got a bunch of panelists. We've got people that are going to be on the ground. Um, and uh, we're, we're taking a look at it. Now, Cinegear goes from, uh, um, it goes from the Thursday through the Sunday. It's, it's the first through the fourth. But the only days that the expo are running are the second and the third. So we're probably not going to do anything except for the second and the third. And, and I'll give you an overview of what we're planning. And what we're really looking at is, is to talk amongst us as the panel, as well as hear your two cents about what it is. But I'll tell you how we're planning to do this. And if you're, again, if you're a volunteer, we have a meeting, you'll get an email on Monday where we're going to talk about this in more detail. But we want to give kind of get the overall view from the producers of what you like and what you don't like. So let us know uh, in the comments and questions, uh, or in, in questions specifically. Um, if you put it in the comments, I may not see it. If you, put it in que- you can put comments in the questions um, for this segment to let us know because we'll bring them up in the show and discuss them. So the idea is, is that we, we saw some stuff at NAB. So we threw a bunch of stuff at the wall at NAB. Um, we, did, we, we attempted to do some VOD. That didn't come out as well as we'd like because of bandwidth issues. We uh, did a bunch of stuff in after after hours. We did some. We did we did two live shows. We did a um, uh, we did an HDR test. So we're trying to take like okay, what parts of those did we really like? Um, we definitely liked the live. The live show was really good. And by the way, the reason we got approved for Cinegear was because of the the great work that was done at NAB. You know, we were able to send that out as an example, and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, come. <laughs> you know, so 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 anyway, um, so uh, so basically we have. You know, um, now we also have to look at what kind of hardware we have. But so the live show, I think, went really well. The thing that we want to clean up from NAB is the is dealing with um, the latency. So 
it's mostly we're going to probably practice some of that on Thursday and even next week in the you know we can take it out and do testing with it. We want to get to what's the behavior that makes the live view work. So we're going to turn the latency down on the live view. Um, I got an, I got some new tools to the interface and some new tools to see if we can get the IFB working a little bit better. I'm also looking, there is a, re, a way to send a return signal back, and we're going to take a look at that and see how that works. So next week, we're going to be doing a little bit of R&D to see if we can't really tune that live view for what we need. Um, we are talking, we, I think we're going to have some wireless transmitters that we're going to be able to use. So, you know, we can potentially, for the live show, have multi-camera. So, um, so we should be able to have a couple cameras that are not wired, but wireless, uh, using Teradex to come back to our um, to back to the live view so we could get multiple angles. Uh, we are going to focus for the live show. We have a lot of people available, but for the live show, we're going to try to go pretty long so we can spell people in and out. Um, but we are also, you know, so we won't, our goal is to probably go from about 11 a.m., um, potentially 10, but definitely 11 a.m. until, you know, four or five, six o'clock. Um, that's going to get split up a little bit. The panel discussion will depend on how many panelists are available and whether they're available during that time. Um, probably we'll do a four-hour session that is the, the, the live view with a, a handful of cameras um, if, if, the pan, if there's enough panelists to cover that section there. Uh, you know, I think I really like and you know, put in comments if you have the opinion of what you think and everything else. I like the long show. Like I like us just you know wandering around the show and doing our thing and and not I don't I'm not trying to ta- you know I'm not trying to build a VOD version of this I'm just trying to build a we're going to explore it together um, now the so we're going to have one cam one live view to work with that's the one that live view has supplied us we still have the electrosonic mics that we had before uh, we had the electrosonic IFBs which we had a little trouble with not with electrosonic but with the way we were delivering those back so we're going to get that fixed up next week um, we are uh, so so we have. You know those pieces, uh, you know, coming together. So the idea is between 11 a.m. and and 3 p.m. We're doing the live show, and again, it can roam a little bit because we're hoping we're going to get at least bolts, but we're hoping to potentially get rangers, you know, which give us a lot of range, you know, to go out places. And we think we don't know for sure, and we're going to test this on Thurs on Friday. We don't know if we can get into the, the. What happens is the way that the sound stages are built. They often turn into a Faraday cage for cell phones and cell devices. And so what we think we're going to have to do is take the live view, park it, have someone stand at the entrance, and then have the rangers go into the into the system so that we can get the live back and forth. So trying to figure that. We're going to be doing tests. So Friday is really testing you know, to see what we can and can't do. And then Saturday will be the show. The um, and then at after three, we'll take the system. We're going to break it down and set it up for HDR, and then we'll go back out and do HDR at five point one. We've got I've got new cables being built right now by Gotham Sound, and I've got um, and we, we're getting some new new hardware to tie this more tightly together. Um, and then we're going to um, go out and uh, um, uh, try to cover it in again doing HDR and five point one. Which should be really cool. There's a bunch of this that's outside, so the outside stuff should look and sound pretty interesting. So we're we're going to look at that. But that'll be the four o'clock to six o'clock range. May not be the whole time, but we're going to do at least an hour of HDR and five point one to take it to the next. You know, all these extra cables and all this extra stuff that we had. Can we condense that down into something that that makes more sense? And so so we're going to be working on that. The idea for Friday is, of course, testing the rigs, seeing where our coverage is. You'll still you'll still see some stuff that we're throwing into after hours and 
and and playing with it. We made broadcast some things to uh, to YouTube as as unlisted streams as we figure some stuff out uh, related to that. Um, and then we're going to um, the other big thing that we're going to do though is the big time that we're going to focus on after hours is going to be Friday. So the idea is that everyone who's on the ground, we really want them to go out and show cool things, you know, in, in the, uh, and we're going to have some folks that are offsite. We may do some, you know, we're going to be doing some editing. We're going to try that again. Um, We're going to, I'm still trying to work out where the band, what bandwidth we're going to use where um, to get that uploaded. I'm trying to get something on site. It may not be on site, but it might be near nearby. So we're working on that. Um, The, but the main thing is, is that we will, um, uh, we want people to go and, and, pay attention to what we're doing so we can cover them and start to build. This is, you know, what we want to cover. We cover, you know, like, so we're showing things from phones, basically. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. Again, we may have trouble. We're going to find out how much trouble we have when we go into the, into the sound stages. Uh, we're going to find out how much, you know, what it le- is outside. But the idea is it's kind of an open grill. There's, I think there's going to be 10 or 12 of us on the ground. And so between the, the streaming tests and folks wandering around with their phones, the idea in Zoom the idea is to feed a bunch of stuff back and and talk about what's um, uh, you know what things are cool. I think it's going to be a really fun time in in after hours, and that'll be pretty much from ten a.m. on Thursday or Friday to six p.m. It's just going to be people going out and looking at stuff. I actually we're going to try to organize the on crew so that they do take some time out, so they're not trying to do six hours. We have people that we say these three people. We really want to make sure that you're doing this block of time and this block of time and we're showing people things so that we really have something going on a lot of the time during after hours and so after hours is going to be much more open again the same thing raise your hand with the phone show it so that's going to be much more open-ended but that's going to help us guide like basically we'll put things into the into uh into discord and have people vote on things like this is what we really want to cover in detail for the live show and and so we're gonna it's kind of the raw back end of what we what we make decisions of as producers really the producers are taking that producer role of like we really like this piece here i think that the easiest way for us to do that is we will either use mukana and put everything into that and vote on them or we could do it in discord in the same way but i think that we may use mukana for that where people can put in like this is the next booth that someone's just adding that this is the next booth we're we're now looking at it in after hours and then people can vote on that booth we're not going to use it as a question we could use polls if we wanted to, but we could also do uh, questions so we can say this is a good one or a bad one and we figure out what those look like. Um, but it's kind of an interesting way to use that. Go ahead, Alex. Yeah, you, you talked about lo- uh, lowering the latency this time around. Would we be testing that new Zoom low latency feature in the client to see if that would that make any difference in what we're doing? No, we're, we're not. Um, well, for after hours, it might. Uh, you know, I'm not worried about that as much. What I'm worried about is during the show, we're going to reduce the latency inside of the live view. So I think that when we did at least the first day of NAB, that latency was set. It's automatically set at three or five seconds or something like that. But it can go down to 0.6. And so we're going to test that on Friday to see if we can lower that latency on the on the live view to under a second. And then the other thing is, it's just the panelists knowing that, hey, there's a little latency there and don't talk over people. Like, so the panelists... And the hosts all just need to know what the game is. This is a, not a new problem. Uh, satellite hits from Afghanistan or, or Turkey or wherever have always had this big latency. It's just people on both ends need to practice 
what they're going to do. And a, a practiced talent will just nod until the person stops talking and then start talking. You know, and you just have to know that you can't jump into it. You need to wait until you hear hear them and then you start talking again into it. And that's what we have to you know get better at when we as we do this uh, this next piece. Uh, uh, go ahead, Courtney. I was just looking at the schedule, and uh, Friday the expo doesn't open till noon. Then we'll start at noon. Uh, I thought and, it started uh, at ten, but the next day, uh, day three, it opens at ten. So yeah, so yeah, so we'll um, uh, the uh, yeah, so Friday we'll 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 start at noon, um, and again that'll give us time to kind of work on things and so on and so forth. But Friday is really just an R and D uh, time frame for us of figuring stuff out, jumping into after hours, um, you know, putting all those things together, and then on again on Saturday we'll we will broadcast. Um, and the, you know, as again, we'll probably start at 11. Uh, there's some stuff for the team to get started. Uh, there's actually a volunteer meeting on, on that Saturday. And I'm pretty committed that that volunteer meeting is never moved. <laughs> so that that's why now we can start early. Um, but I, I want to kind of let the volunteers be in that meeting too. So I don't want to turn everything on and have it, you know, not, not be there. So we're going to probably start a little later and it just gives our team a little more time to get set up as well. So, so anyway, so that's, that's what we're, you know, that's what the plan is. Let us know as producers, throw comments or questions into the, into Makana as a question, and we'll discuss those things. But those are the things that we're thinking about right now. Go ahead, Bill. Well, just in case there may be somebody listening who doesn't understand why Cinegear is such a different show than anything else we've attempted to do, uh, it is an outdoor kind of thing on the Paramount lot in Hollywood. And so part of it takes place in the mock cities that you have seen in the background of TV shows forever. It's got a whole outdoor there. But then there's, I think, five or four sound stages where they shoot big content, again, on the Paramount lot where they do exhibits there. So we're going to have a, a massive area to cover. So the fact that we have multiple teams will be going probably, I would assume, to different areas. Teams will be going out to different things. And you may be in the particular sound stage where Black Magic is set up and another company that that typically is more computer video oriented. And then there's tons of the big techno cranes and things like that that are massive parts of the Hollywood major film industry that we'll also be out with. So I'm just really fascinated by this. I think it's going to be really exciting to get this kind of behind-the-scenes look walking around on a major movie set, series of sets. Uh, it's it's an extraordinary opportunity for all of us to go out there and see how the the stuff gets made. Yeah, I think it's going to be. And basically, if you think about uh, in, in NAB, we had the North Hall, the Central Hall, and the and the South Hall, well, not South Hall this time, the West Hall. And all the things that you really want to shoot, there's some things in the North Hall, but all the things you really want to shoot is the Central Hall. That's where all the eye candy is. Uh, that's what we learn every single time. The uh, Cinegear is just the Central Hall. <laughs> so, so almost everything, because this is film production, and there's not that many, there's not going to be booths about, well, we don't expect to have a lot of booths about how to distribute your content via IP and everything else. This is like, hardware and cameras and things. And so, so we think that it's going to be a great space for us to, you know, there's going to be a lot to look at. That's what we saw in the past. Um, and, and so I think it's going to be pretty interesting on, on how we, how we make that actually work. Um, so, so we're, we're excited about it. Um, yeah, go ahead, Jeffrey. Yeah. If, uh, going from past Cinegears, if it's where, if uh, it works in there, in the hangars, you'll have the small things, you'll have the lighting, you'll have, uh, uh, stuff like that. 
Then you'll go outside the hangars, and then you'll hang a right, and then you're in New York. It's beautiful. And that's where you're going to see the big stuff. You're going to see the stuff that can't go into the hangars, the jibs, the uh, the uh, drones, the uh, uh, zip lines, and all that other good stuff. And you'll, you'll, it'll be a, a good fun time going through the streets and seeing all the stuff that you don't see at NAB because, A, it's hard to transport, and B, it's just way too big. Yeah, and so and it's less expensive for a lot of these companies. You'll see more smaller companies because it's less expensive for the companies to set up their booth and be part of this than it is at NAB. Just from a travel, per- a lot of them are LA based, uh, and so it's it's. But it's a it's a really interesting. Um, I I missed it a lot of years because of the uh, I oftentimes was working uh, that week, and so I'm um, so I'm really excited to be back after maybe a decade. Uh, go ahead, Courtney. They're not hangers. They're sound stages. Yeah. <laughs> motion pictures. There's no airplanes in there. Here's the here's the uh, layout of here's the layout be. of the lot. The uh, these stages over here, fourteen, fifteen, are pretty large stages, and seventy. And one of these may be for um, one of the seminars stuff that's going on there, and not exhibits. I'll have to look closer. And there's also the tank there, which is the purple thing at the bottom. A lot of uh, outdoor. Uh, big cranes and stuff. A lot of time they'll put uh, in the tank, which is actually a parking lot. Yeah, so so we're pretty pretty bullish on it. I think it's going to be a really fun one. It took us a little while to get through through a couple things there, so we didn't want to do this meeting until we knew that that was going to happen. But it has all 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 the things have kind of locked themselves in. So we're uh, we're probably excited. again. If you're interested in doing this or uh, being part of it, either offsite panel or onsite. Um, there's a form in Discord in the announcements. You can fill it out um, right after the show. I'm going to be submitting. Pretty much the final list to you know to the process to to make that happen. So definitely fill that out if you're interested. Please don't fill it out if you're not gonna if you're not gonna do it. <laughs> like you know, it's only fill it out if you're gonna be there. Uh, not be there, but but do something on this project. Uh, let's go to the first question. The first question this morning from Douglas Carmichael: What sort of communications links will we have to and from the show site? Uh, the main communications are just going to be Zoom on Thursday, and then of course we'll have Unity Comms um, on the. Uh, you know, on site there. So we'll be using Unity Comms as well as the talk back to the live view. Um, the, the reason that the talk back to the live view is important is because it does give us a more solid connection than what we would get from a basic cell uh, return from Unity. So um, so we're working on getting that really to be smooth and, and working. We have the hardware that go in to go into the system on our side, and we were missing a couple little converters on the way out of the live view, and we're going to be working on refining that over next week to make it as clean as possible and feed that data then back into uh, a transmitter for the IFBs. So we think that that's going to make it a lot smoother. Um, and we just didn't quite get that done. Uh, we, all the equipment came right before we went to NAB, and we weren't able to quite get all the integration done. So we're going to be we're really excited about um, getting all the electrosonic stuff and and uh, and and with uh, in the live you all tied in. Uh, next question. Next one comes from John Snyder in Reno, Nevada. What sorts of asynchronous roles will be available for volunteers? Uh, we are going to um, be uh, shooting some more VOD. I mean, I think that I'll probably be shooting more VOD in thir- on Friday than we did before, uh, mostly because I'm not speaking anywhere, and I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> so anyway, so the uh, uh, so uh, so I'll be shooting some some stuff. I think that we'll have other people as we. That's part of what we're going to talk about on the Monday meeting. Is figuring out who wants to do what, and we are going to try to set like we just need me to shoot three things and Bill to shoot three things and Jeffrey to shoot three things. And so we're just going to be not like every a big hodgepodge, but let's 
find the things that we're going to cover. And that's some of the stuff we can do asynchronously beforehand is do a lot of research of the people that are there. Where do we know we want to grab some videos? Um, we don't know how good the transmission is going to be in those uh, sound stages. And so, so we, we may need, you know, the video that we shoot may be the only thing that gets out the door. So, um, and I'm going to be experimenting with shooting with both with my phone as well as this FX30. So we're going to be kind of playing with kits for both of those. Go ahead, Courtney. I know it doesn't fit into our broadcast pipeline, but did you talk to them? Uh, are we able to get onto the Paramount? Uh, you know, there there is Wi-Fi uh, routers inside those stages, uh, which is pretty good connectivity. But whether we'll have access to it or not is it won't fit into our pipeline, though, probably since we're using cellular. Yeah, the the biggest thing I'm trying to do is find somewhere that I can get bandwidth, like a lot of it, to upload things. That's the big thing that I'm trying to. I'm with the transmission. I'm kind of leaning into just just making the live view work with cells and point to points and not try to, we're going to test it when we get down there. Um, but right now I just, we're going to try to figure it out and keep it as simple as possible. Um, and then we'll move, we'll kind of expand. I, I don't want to build a pipeline around finding Wi-Fi from a convention center because it's been really difficult you know, in the past. Well, it's I'm, not I'm, a convention center. Technically it's a movie studio and they have I their mean, own LAN infrastructure and yeah. Wi-Fi on the stages. But what I mean is locked that, up pretty tight. You got to have passwords. Yeah, and, and the problem that I have right now is that I what I'm concerned about is building a model for how do we cover events, and uh, you know building any model around the the local Wi-Fi is probably you know I want to stay away from that just because I don't I don't want to build something that we really like from Wi-Fi having there and then not be able to do it on the next one because I think the chances of us being able to do it repeat, repeatedly are very low. Um, next question. Kyle Hammond in Chicago, Illinois. Will there be pre-planned segments so producers have time to submit questions based on where you are going instead of the booth you just left? Yeah, so he, this is where um, it's going to be important. So on Friday, we're going to be washing through these fairly quickly. Like, hey, let's check this out. Hey, check this out. Hey, you know, we're going to be asking questions to the folks there and doing research on it. So the idea is is then we're going to put stuff in. I mean, we got to think a little bit about how we're going to do the voting structure. I th again, I think what we're going to do is not manage the questions, but just use Mukana and we'll just put in, hey, we're visiting the Teradek booth. We're visiting the Sound Devices booth. We're visiting this. And people just vote those up and down as to whether they think those are great booths to, to cover the next day. Then we're going to put, we'll give you a schedule at the end of Friday or first thing on Saturday morning. This is where we plan to go. And so, you know, and then this is going to go back to the older ones of like, these are all the places that we're planning to go. We'll have some discussions on that probably Friday evening where we, um, you know, get into after hours after, you know, six o'clock on Friday after we've done the, the coverage, you know, we'll sit down in after hours and just talk about, okay, let's make a plan. Like, you know, and that plan is partially based on where they are. It's partially based on what we're interested in. It's partially based on like, for instance, we have to really make a decision about, Unless there's something brand new, I don't. I'm not that interested in covering really big booths because um, we can get all that information. You know, what I'm really looking for. What are the smaller things that we want to grab onto? We may cover those big booths in passing, and we may still cover some of them, but we don't want to make the whole thing about the big brands because they have plenty of PR. What we want to do is try to find the things that you wouldn't see normally, which include things like Technocrane. I mean, you don't. You, you again, you see Sony, Airy, Blackmagic. Those things are all things that have tons of PR and everything else. Most of us don't get to see a technocrane uh, very often. And it's one of the cooler things on, on the site in general. Um, yeah, go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, and if you're going to submit uh, questions or, or uh, things you'd like to see, go to the go to the Cinegear site and 
click on the expo map and you can zoom in there and see the names of all the uh, booths and where they are and who's adjacent to who there's Yale Fisher right there. Um, and so you, you can see who's going to be exhibiting and search the list of exhibitors. So if you know, they're going to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I think that the, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Courtney. No, I'm sorry. I just muted accidentally. Yeah. Um, and so we'll definitely be talking about it. And again, the team that's working on it should be doing some of the research and figuring out, like we can start, you know, having more tight discussions about that. Cause that can also drive what we look at in after hours, you know, let's make sure that, you know, we can look at this before, before that Friday over the next two weeks and say, Bill is going to go look at these 20 things, you know, in that, in, on Friday afternoon. You know, and Jeffrey's going to look at these 20 things and, and they're going to, you know, and so we cover a lot of those things and after hours will be this kind of popcorn jumping from one thing to the next, so to speak. And then, um, and then we'll make decisions about what we want to cover for the show. And then we'll look at the things, the top, I don't know, you know, we can decide how many we're going to get through per hour, but, but we'll, you know, but we'll have to, that this goes back, this is kind of a mixture of what we did in the past with IBC and with NAB and with other with NAM and, and Cinegear before, which is that we will have a, pl a direction that you know we're going, um, and you'll know we're going to be getting there, and we will probably have a lot of tags um, that are going up that we have to manage, you know, during that live stream because there's going to be a more of a organized. We're kind of learning. We threw a bunch of stuff at the, uh, you know, and I think we learned a lot in NAB about things. We learned now we're taking what we did at NAB, IBC, NAM, you know, all the other ones over the last year, and we're going to mix mix them all together to make that more uh, cohesive uh, next question next one comes to us from Tlaloc Lopez Waterman in uh, Dallas Fort Worth area today I like the diversity and style that we've had with covering events over the last two years building knowledge each time how do we not lose lessons learned as we have different crews well I think that these kinds of discussions both before and after make a big difference as far as us talking through those things um, so, um, and I, now that we're kind of getting more regular and we have better, you know, more refined equipment, uh, you know, we're going to be down there with a black magic 12 K and you know, like it's, you know, tied into, uh, um, into the, into the live view so that we were able to do HDR 5.1, you know, that, that type of thing. So, um, but we're gonna have a lot of the mics and a lot of those bits and pieces, but again, we're taking in this, in this next version, we're taking a little bit of almost everything we've done over the last year. And building a new show so i think that you know i think it's it's us continuing to talk before the show about what worked and didn't work and then talk right after the show which we've done about what what works and doesn't work so that we can kind of move move through that um next question next one comes to us from roscoe jones in madison indiana and roscoe says how do we find the most interesting person in the booth or should talent just be one of us who has researched the product in general, there will be exceptions, and we do want to talk to people if we find the right person in every booth. But eighty percent of the time, my recommendation is that we just talk it. We just talk to it. Um, we don't try to find someone at the booth to talk about it, especially if they're busy. We don't wait. We don't push. You know, like I just, um, I will tell you that after doing this for twenty years, uh, most of the time, one of us who can articulate what is going on in that will oftentimes do it better than anyone at the booth. They're too close to the product and they start talking through a bunch of stuff that we don't need to know. Um, and so, so the, there's kind of like marketing speak mixed with, they know the product too well mixed with now there's occasionally we get an expert, like if we show up and there's, you know, if 
composite components is there and Jonathan Erlen's there, we're going to ask Jonathan Erlen questions because we don't get get, get access to Jonathan very often. Um, so, so that that's a that's an example of hey, there's somebody there that's a real that really knows the product and we can add content to it. But we're not going to do that by default. Um, by default, what we should do is what I've done for a long time is I will look at the product, I will talk to the person, I will digest what they just said, including prices and so on and so forth. And then I just spit it out, you know, and I just, you know, and it's a relatively fast thing, maybe answer some questions. Again, if, if someone's available and we can do that, we will. But making that the only way we do it really slows the production down a lot. And so we'll probably not do that very often. Um, next question. Next one comes from Kyle Hammond in Chicago. How will After Hours be integrated and or used as a development center for the broadcast segments? I think I think that yeah, what we're going to do is on Friday from noon to six, uh, it's all after hours. Like it's that's you know that that's going to be a great six hours of just you know we're not trying to turn it into a show. We're not trying to discuss it in the way that we would otherwise. We're just going. We're covering booth after booth after booth with the different teams and really absorbing that. In a perfect world, if Senegir was one more day, that would be the first day, and then we'd be broadcasting two more days after that. This is a little bit more, little more of the percentage than we would normally want. But I think that it's going to be, I think it's going to really make a huge difference in how we cover events in the future is to have the first day always be this kind of after hours chaos of us going through it. And if we get to a point where there's a ro too many log jams, where the, the big thing I'm concerned about with after hours, and we're not going to, we're going to do one room this time because we didn't break one room last time. Like I felt like we didn't, it's not like we, we reached capacity there, but if too many of us are sitting at a booth for too long, to show something, you know, more than 10 minutes, you know, to show a specific booth, then I think that we will start to um, look at multiple rooms, you know, start breaking things up. But I don't want to do that until we, I don't want to start fixing things that aren't broken yet. So we know that that is a potential problem. We have ideas on making more rooms and so on and so forth. But what I don't want to do is subdivide the audience because I think that the, the you know, and, and what we need to do on, on the ground is be very succinct. Like, you know, like, hey, this is really cool. And if and we have to be conscious to there's three people behind us and we're just going to talk. We're not there to do the coverage because we're going to do coverage the next day uh, or other things. But we, we are there to kind of make a decision and do some coverage, but not the whole piece. And then we have to remember that what we want to do the next day is really not spend more than three to five minutes at any given booth. Now, this isn't a stand up for 15 minutes or 20 minutes, because if we want someone for that long, then we will bring them into after hours. I mean, not after hours, second hours um, down the road. So, and give them a whole hour to talk. So anything that we think is that interesting that we would spend 15 to 20 minutes on, it's probably interesting enough for a second hour. And so, so we want to kind of, you know, keep, you know, manage our, manage our resources that way. Go ahead, Courtney. Will the after hour sections on Friday be recorded for playback later on YouTube or, or not oh. at all, just live? The only thing that's going to be recorded is the Saturday sessions. The after-hour sessions, you're just going to have to be there <laughs> and be part of that 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 process. It's 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 going to be uh, yeah. So uh, not going to record it. Probably never record it. It's just I want to keep it fluid and rough and not think about it and not think it's going to go anywhere at any point in time. So that'll be you know that's a warning. If you think it's important to you, you may want to carve out some time. Um, but Saturday we'll be taking the best of that and actually doing a broadcast and recording all of it. And again, we will be recording other sessions. We may decide, oh, this is the thing we're in after hours. Let's record a section about that so that people can see it. Uh, next question. 
It comes from Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana. And Roscoe wonders, is there any way we might visit some of the free sponsored talks and or panels, as many are very interesting and not always product focused? We, I have to ask for permission for that um, and to see if that's, if that's doable. Uh, a lot of times they don't want to do that because they're showing footage of things that they don't have rights to. So uh, usually we won't be able to do that because, and it, it opens up a pretty complicated problem as you unwrap it is because they may not even know. And so they may say yes. And then they tell us that we shouldn't have put it up there. And so you could see some of that in after hours. We won't put it on. We will not go to the uh, talks and panels. Um, Cinegear is already a little sensitive about those things. And I don't want to, I, I want our, us to build a great relationship with the, the organization. And so I, I'm not going to probably ask for too much on the first uh, on the first pass of having this many people on the ground. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. I concur with this entirely. There are areas on the lot like the Sherry Lansing Theater and other places where they do these things. But I, having tried to do some things with NAB's future media concept stuff in the back, the best I ever got out of there was just a quick kind of look in the door and say, this is what is happening here. If yeah. you ever come to Cinegear, you can do this, but not actually trying to capture the content. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a future that could include content that's online and make it more, you know, there's, I think that the digital first, this is where we're trying to get ourselves to as we research this. I just don't think it'll be this year. We're just managing how much we get our, put ourselves out. Uh, next question. Ronnie Hofsoy in Tromsø, Norway. How do we identify the newest stuff among all the vendors? The first step is that over the next couple of weeks, we'll be researching what we can see. As, as Courtney said, there's a map. There's a list of those that you can look at those vendors. We can look at what the what things might be interesting there. The set, and that's where a lot of the team that's signing up right now, especially if you're off-site, you're not going to come on-site. This is stuff that you could do right now that will make a big difference is to try to figure out what we think we might want to cover in those areas. And we'll probably have some more meetings, definitely the Mondays before the event, as well as some probably in-between meetings to really think about what those things might be. Um, and then, uh, and then that after hour session is going to be where we kind of just do a lot of research. Uh, next question. Next one from Douglas Carmichael and Douglas says, will we have a strategy for recruiting exhibitors for possible second hours if they receive a positive reception from our audience? We've been handing out cards. We did print a lot of cards. Um, and, uh, we've been uh, handing out those cards, uh, hasn't been a lot of response to them. So, you know, I don't know if there's, I don't know if that was the most effective uh, way to do that. I think that the best thing for us to do is get the cards from the, the vendors and then send them an email saying, here's your product on that. That gives us a way to connect to them. So I think that getting cards from the vendors works better than handing them, but we're still going to hand out cards because someone may want to contact us. So, and maybe I could be wrong. Maybe Roy and, and Josh are getting overwhelmed by emails. I know that the ones I hung out, which go directly to me, you get a lot of response. Um, next question. Mickey Makachur in Manila in the Philippines. Will there be sound mixers and or A2s in the field? We're hoping to have someone, ha you know, I don't know how, what, if they do that on a day-to-day -day basis, but we are having to, hoping to have some one or two people managing sound on the team. Remember, we have a fairly, a fair number of people that are going to be on site. And in this case, we're only going to have one uh, broadcast node. So as a result, um, we're going to be, uh, you know, we won't be jumping around the way we did on at NAB. Uh, so now we may experiment with jumping around in the sense that uh, if we get one thing we may try, this is one of the new experiments, depends on how many Teradex we get 
and whether they work well. I'm going to bring enough cameras that can do 1080p um, that we could theoretically have a couple rigs that were jumping from, we could be jumping from one location to another wirelessly, you know, basically within a certain area, which could be most of the outdoor area. We could theoretically popcorn back and forth between locations by having these rangers going back to the live view. So the live view, it doesn't have to be at every location. There can be people with just the ranger transmission back. The live view becomes a little bit of something that can't move <laughs> because it'll have so much hardware on it. Um, so we're going to, I'm going to, I'm talking to uh, Teradek about that and see what's possible. Um, so, but in each case, we're hoping to have uh, someone doing that. And again, the electrosonics, we want to test those as well. How far will those go? And can we cover? But the idea is that instead of having us have to walk from one to the other, it's not that we can't do anything. It's just that we have to kind of bounce around. And we this may be something where we end up putting the live view on a cart and um, so that we can kind of move the cart, but have the cameras further out um, doing their thing. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is the live view base station going to be AC powered or is it going to be all batteries? All battery. Yeah. Yeah. And we've used that. I mean, we're, we'll give it more battery. I'm going to take a, the, the advantage of LA is that I'm driving down. So I'm going to be bringing a Jackery system that we'll have underneath it. And then it has its own battery and then it has its own, some of its own V mounts. So there's a bunch of different things that the live view should, we hope that the live view will work for four hours with the power that we're bringing down, uh, backup, the, the amount of backup power. So we should have that, but I do think that that could end up being some kind of cart um, that we end up moving around so that it's, but it ends up being the central location. And then the cameras themselves will embed the audio into the camera and then transmit it back. Um, so, but that, how that embeds uh, will be, we have a, for my Sony, we have a, um, you know, a, a, the hot mount XLR ins, uh, whereas we might use mixed pre's for some of them and we might, but all of that stuff, there'll be some audio there. And again, we may not have, we have an overall audio engineer somewhere, but we may have, uh, these things that are doing more of the local embedding. So we'll have to play with it and see what happens. Um, I, when we do, we will definitely have someone focused on that when we do the HDR and uh, 5.1. We'll have a couple people focused on audio, getting it back. Because you have to have someone managing the, the surround mic and someone, we didn't really do a lot of management of the Scorpio um, and, you know, once we got it working. But, uh, but I don't know if we have, we have to look at who we have signed up as to who has, you know, more robust uh, stuff. We are going to be, because we have all the equipment now, we are going to be able to do a bunch of the tests and setups before we go there <laughs> and not build them when we're there. Uh, so that's going to be a lot easier. We All the equipment came in the last couple of days before NAB, and so it was very hard to integrate all of it. And so now we have more time to do that. Uh, next question. Jack Ruppel in Breckenridge, Colorado up next. Can you cover solutions that might use virtual production like the volume at the pros prosumer cost level? Uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely gonna try to cover a lot of things that re would relate to our audience, which would include that. So we'll see, I don't know how much is going to be there. That's really more of an infocom kind of thing, which is happening the following week, I think. Uh, and I, I don't think we're set up to cover that right now. So, um, so that, that would probably be a little further out. Next question. Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana with a practical production question. Any need to plan for the changing light as it's usually cloudy in the morning and then bright sun in the afternoons? Add that to entering and leaving buildings. Yeah, I think that the ND filters will be important. So, you know, having something with, uh, you know, either being able to put them on, uh, being able to switch to them if, if we're looking, you know, using those cameras. And so uh, having ND uh, will be an important piece of that puzzle of being able to swap it out relatively quickly as we go in and out of the out of the bright areas. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. 
on the Friday thing I'm doing, I'm looking forward to this actually a little bit because iPhones are actually pretty good at if you position yourself correctly so that it's not completely split down the middle with bright sunlight and uh, shadow. They usually does a pretty good job of exposure, even in pretty deep shadow. And then if you move out into bright sunlight, it it racks for that. So I'm my fingers are crossed that we'll get some decent pictures out of the place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it it it's pretty. Un, it, my experience has been pretty brutal at Cinegear, the outdoor. So I do not look forward to outdoor shoots, pretty much ever. <laughs> as soon as you say we're going outside i'm like oh okay here we go you know like it's just like i have no idea what's going to happen now i don't you know and every time i've shot at cinegear we've gotten reasonably good stuff it's a little everything's a little underlit inside of the hangar and then everything is like stark hard sun uh by the way if you're coming on site it is la you are out there between between noon or 10 a.m and 2 p.m uh you do want to have sunblock you know, you know, like it's not going to be something that you don't want to do if you're if we're shooting outside. It's a lot of sun, um, and I, I, two cinegears in a row, I just got crispy crittered. Um, you know, I said, you know, co just covering. You don't think about it, and then suddenly you can you can kind of smell that I've gotten too much sun smell, and then you can't move your face for a week. Um, anyway. <laughs> Next, 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 next question. I laugh only because I grew up in Phoenix <laughs> and, then, and I remember and then it peels. <laughs> and then, and then oh you got then you got another week of the peel. You know, just like yeah. big pieces of skin falling off your forehead. You know, so um, but two centigrades in a row, I did that. And now I'm, I'm better at it now. now next question. Uh, Kyle Hammond, uh, Chicago, Illinois. Will the panel on Saturday be able to get to be the conduit between the producers and the on-site crew? There'll be two things. Uh, one is we do think that we're going to be able to get. Um, we're going to see, but this is what we're always experimenting with. But uh, we should be able to have, I'm going to be bringing down some iPads specifically for this, or, or and we can still use phone. There is a display for Makana that you don't, we don't usually use, which is the host display where you can rearrange stuff and so on and so forth. So we are going to try to have some of the questions be asked just right on site. Someone looking at a phone, they can just say, hey, I got a question from here. We got a question from here. Kind of want to experiment with that and see how well it works. Otherwise, the the um, the panelists will be the ones reading the questions to folks. Uh, we do have enough IFBs. Again, we had a little issue getting out of the live view that we're that we're going to adjust so that we can use the IFB system. So we, what we should be able to do is ha use the electrosonic IFBs. We didn't. We weren't really set up well, so we were kind of just handing people headphones and so on and so forth. We're not going to do that. So we're going to get um, a bunch of, uh, we're going to at least have a, 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 a cycling version of these where we can remove the ear tips, you know, so that we can um, uh, give, if we're going to hand something to somebody who's going to put it in their ear, it's a, it's either been alcohol swabbed or it's brand new um, so that they can just put it in their ear and they can hear what we're, what we're talking, they can talk to the panelists. And so we're going to try to tie that. That's one of the big things that I want to try to get done is to, is to make that the ability for the panelists to talk to the person on site. They'll definitely be able to talk to the people who are hosting, but I want to be able to get to a point where they can very easily talk to the, um, to the individuals uh, that, are, that are on site. So we're, gonna, we're working on that. Uh, next question. Jack Rupel's back from Breckenridge, Colorado. Will HDR or 5.1 be available? And how about Discord, YouTube, and or Mukana? What's happening there? Yeah, so the Makana will be definitely important. We're going to make it available on site. We want to see how that works with a tablet or with phones. Um, so we have, an, again, another display that you aren't used to seeing that there's that we can use on the phone that 
lets us see the, a list of the questions and actually rearrange them and accept them and reject them and stuff like that. So we're going to be, we're going to have that, um, that we're going to use. And then the, uh, um, we'll be doing about an hour, maybe two hours of the HDR 5.1. Um, so we'll be doing that at the end of Saturday. So stay tuned for that. Um, and we're, we're near the top of the, we're getting near to the top of the hour and we're getting near the end of the question. So if you have any last comments or questions for, uh, for this, go ahead and throw them in. Otherwise we'll end a little early today, which is fine. Um, but, uh, but if you have a couple, a couple lingering questions, go ahead and throw them in. Let's go to the currently the last question. It comes from Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana. If we won't have a booth, is there any vendor we might ask um, or a location, the lobby of the theater or something like that, that we just designate as home base? Yeah, we're working on that next. So we just got the approval to go in there. So now you know, I didn't want to line all that stuff up until I sorted out some of the other details. And so uh, we are going to talk to folks about what we can do there. Um, and uh, there's a couple vendors that we know pretty well that are there. So I think that we may be able to do that. Go ahead, Courtney. I don't know if they have a press room, but there is a uh, VIP lounge there right in the middle of the back lot there on the inside. So I don't know who's allowed into that. Uh, I don't know if our press passes let us in. Yeah. The, the, I'll, we're going to look to see if there's a press lounge that we can get into. I think, I, th I don't think the press and VIP lounges will be the same, um, but we'll, we'll see what, what's available for us. Um, next question. Uh, next one comes to us from Douglas Carmichael. Alex, you mentioned bringing iPads for question display. Wouldn't the iPad display not be easy to read in a very bright environment? It just depends on the, the contrast of the questions, which ours have been proven to work pretty well. So I think that we're going to be okay uh, in that area. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, and there's a couple of sunshade companies. I don't know if they make them specifically with iPad, but for our IPS monitors in the field, a little like pop-up that goes around the iPad is not out of the question. I think there's some second vendors that do that if you have to work in bright, bright sunlight. Yeah, the um, uh, the um, what am I going to say there? We've used the iPads in the outside in the past. It hasn't been that big of an issue. It's just a matter of having enough contrast in the in the images. Uh, next question, Kyle Hammond in Chicago. Will the first pre-production meeting be next Monday? It will be Monday, and if you signed up for the form, you'll get an announcement. Uh, we don't put it out everywhere, but if you signed up if if you're going to actually be working on the project, uh, there'll be a meeting this Monday and this coming Monday and the following Monday. Is it a uh, separate uh, Zoom meeting or is it uh, where are we separate? Meet? It's going to be a separate, separate Zoom, Zoom meeting. meeting. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, next question. Mickey Makachor in the Philippines. What powering solution will be used in the sound bag to power the Scorpio, the electro uh, transmitter receivers, the embedder, and so forth? Still working that out. So I'm going to be talking to this guy named Mickey Makachor about what he recommends. Does um, he know what he's talking about? Uh, you know, oh, he man. sounds like he knows what he's talking oh. about. Like he, he talks a good game. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we need to uh, figure that out. The, 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 you know, the Scorpio... Uh, you know, the, right now, a lot of those have been powered by what we did before and um, is to power those. Um, we have these little, I'm probably going to get a second one, little small rigs that that have uh, two barrel outputs as well as a D-tap as well as USB. So that they can power a lot of different things um, and they seem to last pretty long. And so I'm probably going to get a second one of those. The Scorpio, of course, we have batteries for. So I've got four of the I think there's 700 series batteries that we can use for that. I don't think that it's going to run out in four hours or five hours. Um, to be honest with you, I've never, I charge it relatively often. I 
never had them run out. Um, the electros are on uh, the, the 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 electro receivers. I think have been on battery in the past. We just got to make sure we have enough batteries, and the embedder has been powered by the small rig. So that's what we did in the past. Um, but we may look at other options as we move forward. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I didn't know what the whether you're going to have a little tanker cart to move around with. I have some uh, 33 amp lead acid sealed lead acid batteries in Pelican cases that I can bring uh, nice. that we can plug in four pin four pin 12 volts supply to a that's great of some sort. The one that I'm worried about right now is that there's a we want to try to use the HAA uh, embedder so that we can do 4K 60. So the going up from what we did on the last one, we're going to try to do. Uh, we're probably not going to have the first half hour be uh, the wrong channels because Alex and Kevin were messing with it. Um, so the first part is that. And then the second part is uh, uh, really get the HDR working as well as the um, the surround. I am going to try to get two more wireless. What, one of the things I'm going to try to tune with Mickey is to use wireless for the for the surround. But we have, there's some tuning that has to get done there to make sure that that actually is going to work. Uh, so then you'd have four, take our four mic plugs and, and connect it to the, to the Ambio mic. And then we'd have, we need two more mics to, to do that. But, uh, so it, there could be a lot of receivers. So it'd be good to, if you bring a battery, that'd be great. Um, and we do, we are going to look for a cart, I think, to move that along. I'm going to make sure that that's okay. But I think it was, it was, we got away with it last time, but I think we want to try to get approval for it this time. Uh, next question. Next one comes to us from Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana. Any pre or post show dining in the area for a meetup? Thursday night. <laughs> so I'll be there Thursday. Uh, definitely expect to have a get together on Thursday evening. I, I don't want Friday. I was thinking about doing it on Friday, but the problem with Friday is, is that, and we may still do another get together with the team that's there and so on and so forth. But the big get together will be Thursday night. Friday, we may all get together, but I, I think that there may be pre pro going on and I don't want to, like, oh, we have to go to dinner when we're still trying to take the information that we got from Friday and get ready for Saturday. So I'm trying not to blend those together. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, there's usually an In-N-Out Burger a mobile truck uh, that's on, on the back lot there and a little area to dine in. So we can you know, gather. That might, the, that might be the, the, end the, end of the Friday, Friday evening after we're done. Friday yeah, evening, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we'll find somewhere to go. Uh, we, we'll see. There's an outside chance we might go somewhere. I might invite people to go somewhere pretty cool. We'll we'll see if that's a if that's an option. Um, but we'll I, I'm still working on that. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Yeah, I was looking at the floor plan of the place, and there is an area of uh, they have dining tables set up somewhere. It's separate from the VIP area, so they must have some place you can sit down. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's enough room there for the crew to gather or something like that for a break at lunch or something like that. But anyway, it's there. Yeah. Uh, next question. Douglas Carmichael up next. Would you ever think of connecting to traditional broadcast infrastructures to increase the potential reach of our content? And he specifically notes the switch LTN and so forth. 100%. We're just not there yet. So this this year is about us figuring out the model. So we experimented with NAB. We're going to experiment with some new stuff here. We're going to do more experimentation at Seagraph. We're going to do more experimentation at IBC. There's another NAB in New York. Um, you know, so there's four or five events as we, there's just the right timing so that we can like have time in between to think and talk and work on things. And then we'll, we'll flip the switch, you know, and kind of say, well, this is what we're going to do. Like 2024 will be, we have decided this is how we do events and we're just going to do them that way throughout that year, making very small revisions, but not trying to make big revisions of things. And then, you know, each year we'll just 
make adjustments at the end of the year for the next year. But we'll make we'll still make adjustments in 2024. But 2023 is really spaghetti on the walls of like let's figure this out and then then we'll start to settle in. Um, but using the switch is something that we'd love to do, uh, but we want to prove that we can build a really smooth show first. Uh, next question. Jack Rupel, Breckenridge, Colorado. How do, you, how do you use loopback in your production workflow? I don't know how we would use it in this production workflow, but, um, but I think that in general, we use it obviously to get multiple audio and bind them together so we can get them into Zoom more easily. But I don't know how we're going to necessarily use them here. Uh, next question. Roscoe Jones, Madison, Indiana. Is there a specific person like Michael Cioni that we might like to find at the show for a quick interview? There's probably a few specific people. Um, you know, I'm going to try to find a couple people that we might even take out. One of the things I'd love to do is have uh, Michael or if, if, you know, if someone like John Tatulis was on site or someone else was there, have us have them show us something that they think is cool. That's, you know, not necessarily a product that they, they cover, but just something that, hey, check this out. Or maybe even we even walk with them a little bit and, and wander around. So we're going to kind of play around with that idea. Uh, next question. Roscoe Jones, Madison, Indiana, and Roscoe asks, wheels were an issue for the tank when we did that, and there are some vendors with great carts for off-road filming. Might we get one? Yeah, I'm going to look into that as far as, um, you know, getting some, getting some, again, the tank isn't going to go, if we use a tank or something like it, it's going to be fairly small, it's going to have big wheels on it, and it's going to be something that we, you know, like a typical sound cart, you know, with the big wheels on one side, you kind of rock and just move and set down it's not going to be designed to go to every booth. It's going to be something that's following behind. If we end up using one, it'll be something that follows behind the, the wireless connections. And so we just have to figure out what's available there. Um, next question. Ronnie Hofsoy, Tronso, Norway, says, will Bill be on site? Partially, yes. Uh, will you be on site, Bill? Well, Alex and I talked about it uh, on Thursday. And yes, I'm going to be driving down to Los Angeles. Is it down or up? I don't know which is higher elevation for Friday for uh, some hanging out on set. But then I'm driving back to San Diego where I will come back and anchor the, the broadcast for the Saturday show. So I'll be a little bit there and a little bit not there. I think it's kind of the perfect setup because Bill will have been there and he will have seen it and will have wandered around. And then he gets to go host it, which I think is a really great model. And I think that that might be the way we do it in the future as well, where Bill might go in and, or I go in and we, we do it. And then we find a place that we can hub the event. Uh, that may not mean that Bill's going to test this by going home, but in the future, it might be that we find a space somewhere that we can that we can actually make that work so and my wife was actually much better on camera she's not going to do anything on camera but she spent a lot of years in local television on air so uh she and i are going together and she's going to corral me and make sure i'm in the right place at the right time so yeah. i'm looking forward to that we'll be able to get a, a look at cinegear and the rest of this and then come back and actually man the desk so to speak so if you're interested you have a couple more minutes literally i'm going to grab onto that that uh those forms and uh, put them in so let us know don't fill it out if you're not coming or <laughs> you're not going to work on it um and uh and then we will have a meeting on monday uh that you'll get an inv invitation uh and we'll talk more about it on the next two mondays and assign who's doing what um and uh and try to make a make more of a take take the ideas that we've talked about here and make a more defined plan so stay tuned for that i'm uh, really excited about it so it should be should be a lot of fun all right. Thanks so much to the uh, to the to the producers asking all these great questions. We had a solid fifty 
questions that we managed and comments is fantastic. That's kind of nominal for us. It's good. And, uh, but really great questions for the first hour and the second hour. Thanks for the, your input there. We, you know, I always say with the panelists, we can't do it without you, but it is so much, I got to tell you as a panelist and as a host, when I get to the, when I get in in the morning and we, you know, we look at six thirty or so, and there's like 18 questions, we just know that it's going to be a great, you know, it's just going to move, you know, um, as far as, so it really makes a difference for the producer when the producers are asking a lot of questions, it just makes it, we just know it's going to be an easier show to work through because we're, you know, we're really just going through this stuff. Same thing when we have, like, for me, it's like when we have 12, 12 to 16 people on the panel and we've got, you know, uh, again, a, a solid, um, you know, 18 questions at seven o'clock in the morning, uh, Pacific standard, you just know it's going to be just a really hot show that's just going to kind of move through. So we really appreciate it when people are able to be here and, and ask those questions because it, it does, we cannot do it. Like this, this show will not last if the producers aren't asking lots of great questions, which you did today. So thanks so much for that. And thanks to the panelists. We can't do this without you. Can't, can't answer the questions. There's a bunch of times today that I was just like, oh, I, I would have never come up with that answer. <laughs> like that's, you know, and, and, and so it was, uh, it was, it was really, really great detailed answers. So thanks so much to the panelists and thanks to the incredible team that, that develops, plans, manages, and executes uh, this show seven days a week. We just, again, this is the, the one show where I feel like we all do it together. It's not someone doing it for somebody else. We're all coming together and making that actually happen. Uh, if you're interested, there are, you know, in the email that goes out, there's links to volunteer and be part of that production crew. Um, you can find that uh, in, the, in the emails that go out. And our next um, get-together uh, will be that Saturday. I'll, I don't know where it's going to be. I'll be at Cinegear somewhere. But, but we're gonna, we'll, we, we will meet at uh, 10 a.m. on Saturday and uh, have, have our, our uh, volunteer meeting for as many people as they're ready to do it. So uh, we'd love to have you there. All right. Uh, we traveled 80,000 miles, 129,000 kilometers. And that is 635 million bananas for scale. Let's jump into After Hours.